Gotham City, like any other large metropolis, abounds in girls of all shapes and sizes. Debutantes, nurses, stenographers, and librarians. Gotham City Library, Miss Gordon speaking. Lopez hair removal, this is Jose. Holy transformation. One minute, plain Barbara Gordon, librarian and Commissioner Gordon's daughter. And the next minute, something new has been added. Batgirl, modeled after her idol, Batman. Holy apparition! No, boy wonder, I'm Batgirl. You are no longer alone, Cape Crusader. It took me three years to track down the Jade Gato, and three more to figure out how to steal it. Funny, it only took me ten minutes to figure out how to snatch it back. No matter how you do it, crime doesn't pay girls. And this is Batgirl to Oracle, the Barbara Gordon Podcast, episode 50, part two of the special Batgirl roundtable discussion for December MMXII. Episode 50 is brought to you by MileHighComics.com, your new and collectible comic book store. Mile High Comics has an inventory of over 5 million comics from the gold, silver, bronze, and modern age, and over 100,000 trade paperbacks. If you're not into the vintage stock, Mile High Comics also has a subscription service called the New Issue Comics Express, offering a discounted price for comics ready to hit the shelves. Examples of the prices you may encounter are February's Batgirl number 17 and Birds of Prey number 17, both for $2.69. So if you're looking for vintage back issues or a great modern subscription service, be sure to check out MileHighComics.com. Well, welcome back. Another momentous chat that we're about to have and we have added two new people so we're even going to broaden the discussion we had last time and first up we have christina collins from darknightnews.com she has returned to us hey guys yes we have newcomer sean whalen from the podcast and site raging bullets thank you for having me and he is pro. Christina hasn't changed. Uh, she's still pro, so I couldn't, you know, bring her to the dark side. <laughs> uh, we have Ed Grouse, a contributor on TBU.net, another pro. Hello. And helping me out on the con side, we've got Donovan Morgan Grant. He's a podcaster on the BatmanUniverse.net. He podcasts on Spider-Man Crawl Space, and he has his own podcast. The Next Dimension is a Dragon Ball Z podcast. Mm, cool. Good evening. <laughs> 
So today's discussion is basically centered around the issues. And so I thought it'd be great to divide them up into story arcs. And basically just the highlights, the lowlights, what was great about the issue, um, just tackling different things. And so the first arc that we have is the mirror arc. So what did you think? I mean, this was out of the gate, you know, number one, Batgirl, Babs is back on the scene as Batgirl. Was this a fitting entrance for her? Did the villain, was he a great introduction to this series? Did we learn enough to of Batgirl to get us excited for the character and get us back in the game? Okay, well, it, it's Ed here. Um, kind of echoing some of the stuff we said from the first podcast, you know, I think that the story was a great intro to, to Babs back in the costume. Um, I think it, it answered enough questions about a little bit and left enough questions out there that we would have more to think about coming forward. And I think that with the exception of Nightfall, that Mir was probably my favorite villain out there. And yes. I thought it was a great introduction to the character. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, I, I would agree with Ed. You know, Mir came out with, like I said before, the Survivor uh, survive, survivor's guilt and you know for Barbara um, to for new readers seeing that something happened to her before and then coming into this comic book you know they're just um, trying to reintroduce it again that she's walking again but she still feels um, kind of uncertain and out of whack with her body as she tries to physically chase down Mirror and to fight him and the, the great thing about Mirror was the fact that he was very physical. It wasn't just mental or emotional for her. It was very physical where she had to run around save people from all these bombings and explosions and all these death scenes and you know, it really put her body into um, you know, put her to the test basically and I totally liked this, this villain because he really interacted with her. He really got into her head and you know at one point I felt very um, I guess, scared for her because it's like, what if she reverts back? What if she, you know, becomes super paralyzed? And we did see where she was paralyzed with the gun in her face. Right. Yeah. I didn't like that moment. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So why didn't you, why didn't you like that moment of her sort of um, flashing back and, and freezing? I think that like the first story, story arc was a really conflicting story arc because um, it, it's trying to do a lot of things at once. It's trying to establish Barbara Gordon for the New 52. It's trying to reestablish her as Batgirl. It's trying to reintroduce her to people who are already familiar with her um, as Oracle or as, you know, just basically Barbara Gordon from the media. And um, this, this, this title was never going to have an easy way uh, right out the gate. But I think that, like, uh, part of this, this first story arc kind of, like, sets a bad tone for the series, in my opinion, because I see what... Gail Simone is trying to do in having her go up against a villain with survivor's guilt because she very much is feeling that. Um, I think she mentions later on, like, why is she allowed to live when other people die? I think around part two or three of the story. Um, then again, I, but there are certain things I feel that, like, it's the idea of the, of the first story arc is Barbara Gordon back as Batgirl. It's not her as Batgirl. It's her returning as Batgirl. And so there are certain things which we need to have addressed, like, you know, how does she feel about it? And I think that some things don't really match up. For one thing, as I mentioned before, at the end of issue one, her freezing with the her freezing at the side of a gun, where she says it's pointed just where it was during the killing joke. See, killing joke, and I'm I didn't like that at all because it's like you know if you're going to become Batgirl again, you need to have that sort of basic expectation already under you know wrapped around. You shouldn't you know. It's sort of like, you know, going up against somebody trying to kill you. That's the thing that you need to expect. It's like a cop. 
So that was one thing that I see where someone was trying to do, but I didn't feel like it really worked. I think Mirror was an interesting villain, but uh, I think he kind of started a trend with the villains we have to talk about. We were sort of like these pseudo vigilantes who kind of had the one bad the one bad day scenario that the Killing Joke uh, illustrated, where something bad happens to them and they want to basically become evil killers who consider themselves heroes in their own heads. And that's not a bad thing, but I think uh, I think out of the four or five villains we've had, 99% of them have been that kind of archetype. And I think that Mirror doesn't really differentiate himself much from Gretel or from Nightfall. I mean, Nightfall is different enough, but I think Mirror was sort of like, you know, I saw my family melt in the car, now I'll kill everybody else because life isn't fair. And that can be uh, engaging. I don't think it was, though. I think it was too... Uh, hinging on emotional kind of, you know, exploitation. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. I didn't think that it was very effective. And I thought it was kind of conflicting towards whatever Barbara was supposed to be feeling at the beginning of the story and how she felt at the end of it. So um, Stella and everybody else here, what do you guys think about that? I think for me, I walked in to, and I I apologize, I wasn't able to be at the last episode. Oh, that's okay. We understand. I walked into this being an Oracle fan. I've been reading Barbara since the 70s. I, I Actually, the 60s TV show was my introduction to the character. But I walked into this series really worried because I was a huge Birds of Prey Oracle fan. Mm-hmm. So the initial arc was really important for me to help me connect with that this is the same woman. Even though we're de-aging her, we're taking to her an earlier point in her career – there are still certain core quality traits to Barbara that I think are really important with being shot like she was in the killing joke with the fact that they kept that canon. And that was something that, you know, the higher ups decided that certain Batman stories were going to be in canon. And with killing joke being canon, you've got to address the fact that even though she can walk again, there is going to be, and I I agree with what you're saying to a certain extent that, you know, when she donned the costume and all that, that there's got to be that part of her that's got to be aware of the fact that she's going to be in those situations. But I think it would have been, if she instantly was magically, psychologically healed from all this, I would have had a real issue with that. One of the things I liked about Mirror and the storyline, it was less to me about the villain and more about us getting to know Barbara in the middle of dealing with a major situation. And, and I'm always a big fan of, I need to know the character. Right. And in her case, in that moment where she froze, that was something I really needed to see from her. Because I would have been sorely disappointed if she was like, eh, guns, no big deal to me. After what she went through, because I thought that was something that was a, a core quality of her, that she was able to work past that anyway. Like, it wasn't something that just ended in the mirror storyline. She had to deal with the fact that she froze through multiple issues afterwards and realize that that was something that couldn't stay put. And I thought that showed the strength of her as a character. I like that humanity of her, that she didn't just settle for that. That wasn't just a throwaway moment. It was something that we as the readers got to see her gradually work past. If it had stayed isolated to that, it would have been disappointed. But the fact it was addressed, I thought, was something that was critical. And you don't have to agree with me. I'm just throwing, that's my two cents. I don't know how everybody feels. I think we might have all personal different opinions on it, which is, I think, interesting. Well, well, I really agree. I don't remember her, um, go ahead, go ahead. I was also saying, I don't don't remember her dealing with the gun, that being brought up again. But uh, what were you going to say, Ed? 
I, I think sometimes it, it, it. I agreed with the, the fact that I'm glad we just didn't jump back in, and, she, and I, I think that was one of the core things of, of all the overall arcs was that it was her progression back into being quote unquote Batgirl. But I think with the gun, you brought up a police officer, and I think that's a that's a that is a, a, a great analogy because I think a lot of times in life when you've been through any traumatic event, it doesn't have to be on the level of being paralyzed, but even something you failed at at your job or, or, or failed at in your personal life, whenever you have to face that situation again, although you may think you're ready for it, I think when you're actually faced with that again, I think sometimes you will freeze up a little bit. So I actually saw a very relatable part of the character there. Like I think we've all been in our life, re- thought we were ready to do something, and then when it actually happened – we kind of went, whoa, well, maybe I'm not ready. You maybe froze a little bit. So I found that to be a very human, relatable quality in the book. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, I think um, for me, if anything, if Simone had to somehow re- did a redo on this, that maybe she might have taken off the cow and just try to be someone else. But I don't think we're ever going to really see that since Simone has taken off the book. <laughs> Spoilers. <laughs> Spoilers. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think that's a, that's a good point that, what I believe what I said that uh, when when you face with something that you you sort of expect you're not sure you know you know know how you're going to react I think it's a good point I don't remember when we were shown that she was dealing with it too much like I don't remember her issue dealing with the gun again issue seven when she met with Black Canary she talked about the spirit wounds I mean that's right. that became a major part of the series afterwards the spirit mm-hmm. wounds are something that she that moment was uh, a pivotal moment to where the series went with her and she's been like even when she was dealing with batwoman it was more of this it's this sense of i've got to get myself back in the game um but that whole training sequence with dinah lance was totally driven by the fact that she froze at that moment she didn't just leave that issue seven was heavily influenced by that she uh, the direct in quote was spirit wounds the spirit wounds remained do you okay. think that it takes her an appropriate amount of time to get back in the game? Do you think it's too slow? Is she even back in the game at this moment right now where we are with issue 14, I guess, even though we haven't seen 14 yet? No, I think once she started fighting Gretel, I kind of felt that maybe it was a little bit too fast-paced. You know, Gretel was a quick, for me, a quick uh, villain to just come in and just strike down, you know, um, Maybe it might have been, maybe it should have been done a little bit differently. I mean, I never really liked Gretel to begin with, you know. Yeah. I, you know, I'm more so Mirror and Nightfall. That's it. That's the only two villains I actually cared about in this, uh, in this uh, title. Um, you know, I really do think that, you know, Simone should, you know, kind of done something differently. We have a smaller build, but I think for new readers, there had to be like a pow effect because you know you have batman nightwing red hood they're all doing these crazy things they're all doing these crazy stuff it's like hers is such a different uh journey you know especially when she says she wants no ties with batman or nightwing you know that little thing that she did with night you know with nightwing saying that she wants nothing to do with them you know and she was really just pulling herself out the game and you know i don't think she could have you know done anything but to continue to push back girl into these different situations but um, I think for some people, maybe the cons, maybe this was like one of the real negatives for this book. Yeah. <laughs> I think one of the things that I liked about the introduction of the villains was that she was trying to introduce new villains into the mythos instead of going the route of pulling from Batman's rogue gallery. Right. Because I think one of the problems that we have, and it's I think it's something that plagues Wonder Woman from time to time, it's the fact that 
there is such a shortage of villains to the female heroes. Mm -hmm. And I liked that she was experimenting with it. When you do those experiments, is every villain going to be a hit? I mean, if you take a look at the run of Batman, just for as an example, we've got a certain set amount of rogues that we all know and love, but there have been a lot of villains introduced along the way that wound up being just throwaway because they didn't have an attach rate to them. Right. Um, right. And I liked that she was experimenting with that, and I think it's something that going forward the series needs to still do. Are they all going to be home-run hits? No. Um, and maybe some of them aren't meant to be, because if you take a look where these villains are meant to go, it looks like that they're going to, a lot of them are going to be pulled together to, like, team up against Batgirl by a larger force. Um, mm -hmm. That I like that idea of using them that way. But is every one of them going to be the same hit? No, and, and they weren't for me. I'm, 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 I'm enjoying this series a great deal. I didn't think all of them stood out that way, but I like the experimentation of it, to see what the fans like and to see the ones that they talk about. And I'd like to see her develop more. I want to see that more with Wonder Woman as well, that, just as an example. And I think a yeah. lot of heroes taking the female hero out of it, I think a lot of heroes could use a rogues gallery because, you know, to me, in the DC Universe, you've got the Flash, Mm -hmm. And you've got Batman, who've got a really well-produced rogues gallery. Superman has, like, Luthor and Brainiac. And, yes, there's Toy Man and people like that, but those are the two. Luthor and Brainiac are the two standouts, really. I'd, I want to see more of that, because I, I think that that makes the books unique and interesting. James mm -hmm. Jr. is, I think, if, if there's one villain that I think is clearly being well-produced here, I think taking him from what Scott Snyder was doing with Black Mirror right. and mm -hmm. making him a foil in this, for me, was the standout villain of this whole thing. And really, when you think about it, it's been a tease all the way through. <laughs> I, oh, yeah. And I don't know if you guys agree with me. You might. No, we do. We do. I yeah. think he's oh, yeah. a complete home run. Yeah, you know, that was something that I really wanted to see ever since I saw him come into uh, Batgirls. Like, when are we going to see him? When are we going to see him? You know, I, you know I, I said this before that he has a Michael Myers kind of appeal to Barbara Gordon. And, you know, she's been kind of teasing in all this other stuff. And as for these villains, you know, um, Gail Simone has never been great with villains. Okay, she's sometimes they come off really corny, Gretel being one. Uh, grotesque eh, a little bit mirror came from a pre pre 52 so he had his own thing and then you had nightfall and everyone had this huge confusion like is she related to bane it's like she's not she's really just a chick with a cloak on that's it um you, you know these seriously these villains um some of them are home runs for me it's mirror and nightfall and i think that um those two are the only ones that caught my attention. And, you know, she's never, Simone has never been great with villains, never has been, you know, and there's, and for some particular reason, she's, you know, she doesn't have very well established character, you know, something about these characters that she creates just doesn't hit at all. And it's like, they're very superficial. They serve one notes and that's it. And I've said this before, um, Simone is a character driven writer. She's not really into plot or a scheme, she's really just about the character, pushing them along, and then once they're got to their mecca, <laughs> they're done, and that's it. I'm, I'm is, laughing when you were saying, I'm, I apologize, I'm, I'm laughing when you were saying that um, she's not good with villains. My favorite book by her is Secret, Secret Six. Six. <laughs> <laughs> Which all of the cast was villains. Um, yeah, but they were, were like really established. But I actually liked... I actually liked the characters that she created in there. Like, she was exploring Ragdoll's family, um, who wound up being a foil for the Secret Six. I actually liked 
the villains that she was creating in that because it started creating, I think, an interesting dynamic for the team. And even the villains that she brought in and used that were going after the card and stuff like that. I don't, I don't want to derail the conversation of that. And I really wasn't saying that to dispute your right to feel the way that you do. Um, I was more chuckling to myself thinking of something like it was a villain's book. And I know where you're going. You're right. They were established villains and things like that. So, I mean, I, I get that. But I thought her sc- Scandal Savage was something that I thought she really fleshed out in that book and, and did it beautifully as a villain. But there, there were characters that she, you know, the thing is about Simone is that if she feels these characters, and you've seen it in background, not to bring this up again, but background annual one, she did perfect with Catwoman. And there's something about Gil Simone having these characters that are very strong, very independent, and do what they want to do, how they want to say, with a bad attitude. She, she really shines on those characters. Whereas Batgirl... This is an entirely different character, and you've seen sometimes where Barbara Gordon does not act like Barbara Gordon. She acts more like, um, you know, a renegade where she's holding a gun to someone's face, and, like, it's like she's going to pull it, and I'm hoping she does because it's like that sounds like Gail Simone's writing right there. You know, this cookie-cutter version of Batgirl, it's great, but it's like when it comes to Gail Simone, you expect her to hit things out the ballpark, and unfortunately, you know, with Batgirl, she's been just hitting ground balls hell even buns at this point I, I also thought too that on, on before we get totally off mirror the mirror stuff the the mirror storyline i really thought the storyline could have used one more one more issue i think if it had gone to five issues and it spent more time on exposition on the batgirls you know psyche i think it really the, the storyline really could have used one more issue which is funny because at four issues this is the longest arc in the book so far is is the four issue starter so i i really thought it could have in fact in my opinion, you could have canceled the two issues with Gretel and made a mere six-issue six story, and I think it really would have worked better as that, with a little more page count. Yeah, I have two questions, uh, and then we can move on. The first question is, do you think you can measure the success of a villain, even if it's an awful villain, can you measure the success of a villain by how well it develops the actual character of the book? So if we have an awful villain like Gretel, which I absolutely hated, <laughs> uh, do you think that we could say that maybe she's successful in the way that she brought some uh, pieces of Barbara's life or, you know, to, to the forefront of the book or was able to develop Barbara as a character? No. No. I'm I sorry. Think, I'm, no. I think that uh, – I don't know what Gretel's deal was. I think that um, – <laughs> a villain is only as good as the challenge they bring to the hero. And I think the, the challenge that she mainly brought to, to Batgirl was what made, were most of the, the villains, except for Joker and James Jr., bring to Batgirl in that they just beat her up and you know, physically dominate her. I don't know if there's a lot of like psychological or emotional challenges. And I'm, I might be proven wrong because I've only read these stories so, as they've gone, gone along. But in reflecting on them, I think that these villains are kind of being initially dictated to be sort of rose gallery, rose gallery material, where they kind of you know make their mark and then leave off. I'm not sure if any of these actually affected Barbara Gordon at the end of the day. They're kind of being. I'm not saying this is an inherently a bad thing, but they're sort of being handled like cases as opposed to situations that she's dealing with. They kind of threaten her existence as back or challenge her existence as Batgirl. We're. I think part of the problem I'm having with the way we're talking about this is we're acting like there wasn't a supporting cast that was reacting to all this. And through every issue, there was a supporting cast reacting to things that were happening with Barbara. It wasn't just Barbara being developed. We had McKenna, who I, I thought McKenna was really great. I mean, she had a situation where 
because of Barbara's reaction to all of this, mm. McKenna really had to deal with um, a bitterness towards Batgirl, feeling like Batgirl's mm. involvement was something that really derailed a situation that maybe McKenna thought she had under control. We got this vigilante who came in and froze in this situation, and it was something where I think that development, not only was that something that Barbara had to deal with her own guilt, but she had to deal with dealing with McKenna and all this along the way, who we've seen watching everything Barbara does. But then we get to the Gretel storyline. We're also dealing with Bruce Wayne and Barbara having to face off against Bruce Wayne and deal with a lot of her emotions when it comes to Bruce. A lot of the things that she buried um, in, in her own feelings about Bruce Wayne, which I thought that stuff was really great at moving Barbara forward. Whether you like Gretel or not, I mean, that those moments with, I thought the moments between Bruce and Barbara were the highlights of the Gretel storyline. Not Gretel. It was, I think Gretel, in my opinion, at least to Highfelder's reader, the whole point of Gretel was to get Bruce Wayne and Barbara fighting. You liked <laughs> so when... Uh, dealing with Bruce. You liked when he says, you were always meant to be Batgirl? Yeah, those moments were, I thought, great. Well, I mean, um, at least for me, at least in terms of the character McKenna, going back to the first issue... I think uh, I can appreciate your sentiments on how they're kind of you know being handled in the overall story. I think the execution is a, leaves a bit to be desired because I, re- I remember correctly, McKenna's beef with Backer was that she kind of ha- she in her mind had let her partner die by not doing anything when um, I think uh, Mira killed him. But I remember Backer was like being held. Uh, oh, it was, it was uh, the guy in the hospital. Backer was held at gunpoint while Mira killed the guy. Then McKenna said, "You're under arrest. You killed that man." And to me, that's like you know, a situation that is. But I don't. That's also I don't, McKenna's guilt. That's McKenna's guilt at the death of her partner as well. Which I think there's a human reality to that. It, it isn't just McKenna being angry at Barbara. It's McKenna looking to blame somebody and to find reason in a horrid situation for what happened to her partner. So there's more to that than that. I actually agree that like a lot of McKenna's rationalization. I'm agree. I actually agree with your point about a lot of McKenna, McKenna's rationalization, but I think that's human. I think what McKenna goes through, there's something human about what McKenna does. Um, I think in horrid situations like that, we think irrationally. And I think there is some of that with McKenna. And I, I think we see McKenna go through her own journey in this, which I really enjoy McKenna, because we see her go through a journey where almost she has to realize that, hey, Barbara's kind of on, or Batgirl's kind of on the same path I'm on, to the point where they all, they actually wind up reluctantly teaming up later on in a way that feels kind of natural for what they went through when they come full circle. I don't know. I, I, I agree with a lot of your points about her being, McKenna being a little off, but I think that that's what would happen in a horrid situation where your partner dies in front of you. You look for reason, you look for blame. I'm not sure if that's uh, – I, I can appreciate what you're saying. I'm not sure if that's all apparent in the uh, in the story. I mean, it's, it's, fine. it's, it's all fair game to interpret – one story one way or another, but I don't think my problem with McKenna is that she sort of be seen, at least in the way I read her, she sort of kind of be seems to me to be this like this cop who's you know doesn't like a superhero because the superhero is you know the main character of the book and we need a, we need a, a secondary antagonist and I feel as though a lot of like the uh, introspection into her character prior to the issue where we learn her backstory is. I didn't really infer to it as much as as much as uh, you seem to have, and even afterwards, where we see the... Jim Gordon addresses this though. Like Gordon even addresses this when he talks to McKenna. He when he he asks her repeatedly, "Can you handle this objectively?" And we see McKenna hiding from Gordon that she's been stalking Batgirl. 
Right. She, she even says directly to Gordon, I haven't given Batgirl any thought. I'm not inferring this stuff. It's right in the issue. I mean, I'm saying that, like, um, I mean, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not objecting that that's not there. But what I'm saying is that, like, a lot of, like, the space and what, I'm, and what, what it's being uh, presented, I don't think that, like, it's as effectively executed. I don't really – like, to me, I don't really think about McKenna much after she appears. I mean, I'm sort of, you know, paying attention to what Batgirl is doing. And I suppose that's, that's my feeling as, you know, what we're supposed to be reading about. But to me, she kind of plays her, – her, her role in the book – is so much a supporting character as it is a foil for Batgirl, in a uh, in a fairly typical role or, or a, a very typical uh, foil. So I don't really enjoy her antagonism because I don't I don't think it's much it has much uh, purpose other than just to kind of give Barbara trouble as opposed to develop her own uh, character uh, individually from Batgirl. I do agree with both of you, uh, Sean. Uh, once you bring that up, I do totally see that whole. Um, when something happens, you almost want to blame everyone uh, but yourself when it was sort of your fault. And a biblical example go- comes into my mind. Um, so excuse me for this if I don't want to insult anyone. But Shoot just, away. Just at the beginning, you know, Genesis and, of course, the fall, Adam says, well, the woman did it. And you gave me the woman. So, I mean, even though you know, <laughs> it was partially his fault as well. So it's sort of like McKenna blaming everyone, but she was also involved in that. And I do agree not to shave sort of on the fence, but with Donovan that it wasn't as well executed because I think the dialogue could have been better produced um, mm-hmm. from McKenna, not to just wholly lay the blame on on Batgirl, but perhaps have something like in her head or something that, oh my gosh, you know, what have I done? And then turn the gun on Batgirl. Um, I, I feel like she's not as much, I don't think she's intended to be a foil. McKenna, we sort of talked about this in the last episode. I think her intent is to be some sort of minor character, but it's falling flat right now. I think all the mm-hmm. Bat characters... They may not necessarily need, but I think it works well to have sort of a handler, um, someone that they can connect to, to GCPD. And it all started with Batman having Jim Gordon. Mm-hmm. Um, we sort of have Batwing, and he's inside, you know, his um, African police department as well. And I think Steph had Detective Nick, and now we have Batgirl and McKenna. And I think that is the point, to have some connection to Gotham City Police Department. And it's not working out as well as it could be. But I said yesterday or last time uh, that she has potential, and I'm hoping that it's there. But I think those were good points. Are there any other thoughts, or should we move on from, from one other thing, part? One other thing I want to say about her, though, mm-hmm. I really liked is I like this idea that these vigilantes run around in this city, this huge city, and their actions and when people get hurt, there's going to be bitterness by the people who get paid and put themselves on the line mm-hmm. to what they do. And that's something emotionally that I, I think there's something impressive that these people keep trying to do these good things, even though they've got people who are clearly disappointed in them. Like I, what I liked about McKenna was that she wasn't instantly trying to be like, Hey, Batman saved me when I was young. So like I'm behind you. I actually kind of liked that she was adversarial because Barbara had to deal with that emotionally. And I think there's something that it made me like Barbara more that she kept on going because I wouldn't. <laughs> I, I think that would be for me. I'm like, oh, this is I'm not get, you know, this is I'm putting my life on the line. I've been shot. Um, I'm 
you know, there comes a point in time where where do you break? Where do you stop going? She didn't have the parents who died that, like, was driving her. It's more of a she's trying to be a good person and make a difference in her city, and I kind of like that distinction with her. There's something more hopeful. I think there's that she has that accessibility that I think Dick Grayson has and she should have. So that's what I liked about it. Emma and Donovan, I wasn't trying to say that you were wrong in having the feelings. No, I understand. If you didn't like it, it was more of a um, – I didn't want you to think that I was just randomly pulling this stuff out of thin air. Um, there's things that I saw in the series, like when she's working out constantly and stuff like that. Right. That's a person who's really trying to bury herself into the – like I don't think she ever – we've ever seen her deal with what happened to her partner. She's buried herself into the situation with Batgirl as a way to never really face it. Because we never really see those moments of her dealing with her partner. And I think that's on purpose to give her that drive and that feeling because Gordon addresses it. So that was how I saw it. You don't have to see it the same way. It's more of a, it, that's where I'm getting it from in the issue. It's not something that I'm inferring. It's, it's what I'm seeing on the page that's, you know, driving that. So. Right. Um, Stella, uh, just like, like for 30 seconds, I was I going to go back to your, a previous point you made about developing Barbara Gordon mm-hmm. for the series. And I think that like, uh, and I think you made the same comparison every now and then where we have these sort of like villains kind of, you know, here to develop Barbara as a character, as well as sort of reestablish how Sean and Ed of Christina have been saying how she's getting back to being Batgirl. I think a lot of it kind of falls in line with the Peter Parker syndrome. In that Barbara Gordon, and you've made this comparison a lot, how Barbara Gordon is a very relatable, you know, she's a character that you can kind of believe in who doesn't have uh, a comic booky uh, drive to be a superhero besides, you know, just wanting to do the right thing. So a lot of her um, challenges and a lot of her obstacles come from things like, you know, being outfought or outmatched. And I think that we see that a lot. I think that's where Gail Simone's coming from in writing the character. I think what kind of keeps me from enjoying that, however, is an over-reliance on it. And in one way, that kind of makes her relatable uh, as a template for new readers. In another way, though, I think that does weaken her as a character, essentially. Do any of you want to say anything about that point? No. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> it was too um, stupid. <laughs> no, I... Oh, no, no, no. I'll, I'll just... I, oh, you go ahead, Sean. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I think she's a strong character. So, I mean, I, I don't know. I mean... You you clearly had a logical thought process as far as why you think she feel she's a weak character, and I don't know that I'm going to change that by saying anything other than I I think I've seen nothing but strength from her as a character because she has that moral good moral drive, and yet you know through this fact that we see her even when she first like starts running around in the bat suit again, you know, these these fears that she has, can she do the acrobats the same way? Is she when with Mir, she had one sequence with Mir where she thought she was going to fall and what was that going to do to her body um, because of where she'd been. And yet she keeps finding the drive and determination to keep going on because she believes in this. And There's something in that that I think that makes her a very strong character, a very unique character. Her drive is very different than, like, I'm enjoying Batwoman a great deal, Mm -hmm. but I like that Barbara doesn't feel to me like another Batwoman. I don't want, like, every female DC character, just like every male DC character is unique, I don't want every female DC character to kind of fit into, like, this mold and template. I don't want Batgirl also to feel like Wonder Woman, um, who I love. I'm a Wonder Woman fan, but... I love Wonder Woman for very uniquely different reasons than Batgirl. I think that Wonder Woman tends to come off of being this more because she's got those Amazonian superpowers, this strong 
she doesn't feel as vulnerable, I guess, as Barbara does. I like the vulnerability. I find a connectability in seeing this person who's as vulnerable as each one of us, who didn't have that deep emotional scar of, you know, losing somebody, yet still finds this desire to do. I always thought Barbara, since I was a kid, and I guess it's going back to the 60s series, you know, where she was that good librarian that just kind of did this because her dad was a cop and she believes in it. And I think that there's something cool about that to the core that I like that that's never been lost with her, that that's always been a drive for her. And that goes back to when she was Oracle. That was still at her core. And there's something about those qualities that I think are essentially Barbara that I think they need to be there for me. I mean, that's that's just my take on her. Do you feel like it's inconsistent? I asked this in the last episode. Do you feel like it's inconsistent, though, that she shows strength and just being very capable and able to smack down these bad guys, and then it'll turn around and be the next issue, and then all of a sudden she's whipped by Batwoman really easily or some other... Vi- what What are your thoughts on that, that it's sort of touch and go, whether is this issue going to be a good issue for her and her fighting, or is it going to be a bad issue? I think, I think it always depends on the... Uh... I'm sorry. I think it always depends on the opponent. Like like uh, in issue 13 when she fought the henchmen. I mean, she can fight henchmen. I mean, I would hope she'd be able to take on some henchmen because she's been, she's been trained enough. And um, and I, we got to try to always couch these discussions uh, away from the idea of if this Batgirl was ever Oracle. I think the problem with me is that, like, for one, uh, from the Zero issue, she was Batgirl for a very short amount of time. That's also sort of a larger DC thing. But also... I know a lot of the, the, the appeal of a character is a relatable, you know, we struggle every day with what we go through. You know, we have challenges every day in our little, uh, I say little, in our lives. I think that uh, with Batgirl and Barbara Gordon specifically, I think it's hard for us to sort of like wrap our heads around the idea that she actually had this traumatic experience. At least this, this is my, my sort of main thing. And um, it's, it's, it can be realistic, realistically applied in one sense. But I think that like for Barbara Gordon's character... I think it's hard for her not to. I, th- I think it's hard for her to, to be constantly outdone in a, in a lot of in a lot of areas when she kind of like. Uh, I'm not saying she needs to be an expert, but they're kind of playing this whole uh, you know young, fresh crime fighter aspect with her, and the inconsistencies I feel is that they're kind of relying on her to be this marquee, brilliant Batgirl uh, female character, when in fact a lot of times she always kind of ends up you know in the Stephanie Brown role of you know getting the short end of the stick. And then eventually coming around and you know being able to solve because the the stories are typically two parters, and I think that there's a typical um, you know that's that's one on one instance a storytelling technique, but I feel that like the character ends up ends up being inconsistent in that they're sort of saying she's one thing and then sort of displaying another, and that has a lot a lot to do with you know what happened to her, what they're trying to say uh, she is now, and what we expect of her coming off from you know before the 52, and that has a lot of sort of like branched I- off. Uh, setbacks, which we could talk about later on down the line. That's a superhero thing to a certain extent, though, getting the short end of the stick and coming back and winning. I mean, like, if you take a look at Batman's whole thing in, like, the whole Court of Owls sequence, he got the short end of the stick and had to find a way to come back from all that. I mean, I think that, uh, I think we're seeing that with him with the Joker right now, and I, I don't want to spoil any of that, obviously. But, I mean, I think that that's, you know, that is a natural superhero thing. You want to see that them come back from that thing Mm -hmm. you made an interesting point though about like being able to lay the smack down on some villains in a way and and do you feel that's inconsistent i think that should be 
different from villain to villain. Like, I don't think a Gretel, for example, should all of a sudden be the combatant on the level that Batgirl is. Batgirl mm-hmm. obviously has had training. So should do I think when, like, she's eventually able to get face-to-face with Gretel, she should be able to take Gretel down fairly easy on the physical end? Yes, um, Gretel's powers were ones that she controlled others to do her dirty work. It wasn't about her being having physical prowess. So that should be drastically different than perhaps some of the villains she's faced that have more physical prowess. I mean, if you take a look at the military training of Batwoman to go to that, um, her whole career was being a combatant. So Batgirl's training has been along the way. You know, she hasn't gone through, we haven't seen her go through the training of like a Dick Grayson or a uh, Tim Drake, for example, where, you know, they were going up against ninjas and all kinds of stuff like that. Um, but she has had training and she has fought with like a Dinah Lance and stuff. And I thought that's where like seven and eight really worked for me, that she needs to keep doing this ongoing training to hone those skills. And she does get impressed with a Batwoman. Mm-hmm. And she has to use her smarts to kind of say, okay, Batwoman's clearly more trained than I am, but I do have training. Like in that sequence of events, if you look at that issue in particular, she was using the training that she has to try and come up with ways to survive that, to find that one moment that was going to separate the two of them, that one moment that would give her some form of edge to even look like to Batwoman that she was competent enough. And I actually liked seeing her in those moments because it wasn't like she was this totally green person who had no training. She recognized that she was outclassed because she had combat training to see that. That's mm-hmm. what that worked for me. It was because the whole f- process was she knew what to look for to know that this woman was hitting her certain ways in certain areas. She was specifically like laying down what Batwoman was doing to her as a trained combatant, which is where the dialogue in that really works for me. If it had just been like a dialogue free sequence, I would have seen it that way where you're like, yes. well, she's getting totally worked over. But it wasn't. There was actual descriptions from her on what Batwoman was doing from one combatant facing another. Right. And I actually liked I actually liked that Batwoman had more training because of her military background. She should. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, that's something that I saw um, for last week, you know, with Batwoman. And it's like she's, um, I'm not saying that Batwoman is a mirror to Batgirl, but it's like this is what you can be if you didn't have a whole year. If you didn't take off that year, being Batgirl. You would be somewhere in this level or at least close to it or orbiting around this um, this person that Batwoman has become. Um, and I, I think you really hit a whole lot about, you know, why Batwoman was there to begin with, you know, especially there was a whole thing about the silk scarf thing, the silk uh, tissue, and it's like it showed maturity. It showed that Batwoman had more have more than Batgirl could ever have. And it's like, it's like you should still continue to be um, either Batgirl or maybe become a new hero because she continues to say, this is the face of a hero, this is the face of a hero. And I kind of felt that maybe she could be coming, pulling away from being Batgirl and become her own kind of hero, whatever that may be. Maybe Oracle with legs. That's what I think, you know? Um, yeah, that's it. Yeah, I, I think too that the thing that, you know, we're talking about with the villains here is the same struggle that we have for, every comic book villain, you know, ever created. They have to be tough enough and smart enough that they pose a real threat, but they can't be so powerful and so tough that it's unrealistic when when the character defeats them, you know? And I think that in Simone's writing here, I think she may have 
made the villains too simplistic in a way because we don't I, I might be totally wrong with the exception of Mir and Nightfall you know Gretel and, and our other the other guy with the henchman in the middle um, yeah, that's that guy yeah um, uh. I, I think you kind of come up with the feeling that I don't feel like they pose a valid threat Gretel at no point really seems like you know that this isn't going to be resolved in a good way and I think right. the best villains like Mir and like definitely with Nightfall is you have a real sense during the stories that this could go terribly wrong, you know? Mm -hmm. And I think if you don't have that feeling like the best Batman villains or our insert favorite superhero here villains, if you really don't feel that this can go totally wrong, then there's no fear of a real threat. And I think that's the problem I have with, with kind of the middle run of the book is I don't feel like there's a real viable threat there. I never feel like Batgirl's under threat. I never feel like Bruce Wayne's really going to be threatened by Gretel. I just... I don't feel like there's a valid threat, and that's probably my biggest sticking point. And I do love the books, but I think that's the one part with the villains. I kind of just – I didn't feel like there was any gravitas there. All right, and they, there were basically elements to continue the story, to push Batgirl into the, the future books, the future issues, such as what we have now, Death of the Family. Gretel holds no substance, but just kind of just said, like, you could have become this evil person because you got, sh because you were shot. You know, it was, right. they were just elements just to support the character. And this is where I'm coming from with these villains, you know, Gail Simone and how craptastic they might be. Mm -hmm. They not might be, but they are how they might be. The fact that they're just pushing her along, like, okay, let's keep going. We had a big run with mirror. Now we're going to go into eventually, you know, death of family, which is coming down, you know, it, it was kind of rushed for me and it was kind of like she didn't she had thoughts and had plans for these characters but you know i don't think she could have gone so in depth because of you know all these crossovers that are happening now night of the owls and definitely family am i going to go off your track a little if i mention the end of issue 13 because i know you wanted to stay in certain storylines the only reason why is if we talk about these like if we i don't know how we can talk about mere grotesque and gretel and not talk about, like, I agree with everything everybody's saying about how these were villains that it was clear that on their own they couldn't stand with Batgirl. But mm -hmm. 13 issues in, we've got this writer who's clearly pulling them together. Mm -hmm. And I, there's a bigger plan with those villains than what has been introduced with them. Like, they're going to have somebody guiding them, and there is a plan for them for the future. They weren't just meant to be throwaways. They, I think they were deliberately introduced the way that they were to be pulled together to then come back later and be further developed. Because, I mean, we're clearly seeing them in issue 13 right at the end. And this is really just a quick thing. It's not like we see anything happen with them. But we see sets of lawyers pulling them together for a purpose. So they aren't just villains that were going to be left on their own. They were mm -hmm. meant to be united and to become a threat to Batgirl that way. So I, I, I think if they had just been left as these little tiny throwaways, I would have felt differently. But seeing that like there was a, there's a vision for them to be united, like I want to know who's uniting them, what their goal is with them, things like that. That's where it's starting to get interesting to me with them. Mm -hmm. Because on their own, they couldn't hold their own. What right. are they going to be like together, though? Because if you look at the three of them, their power sets are very different. Mm -hmm. I, and But yet they do have linked motivations on what brought them to the table to be villains. So you've got three potential people because they have commonalities mm -hmm. that could work very well together. I don't think the commonalities are as much of a throwaway as we're saying here. 
I think but, that you've got three people who could very well find things in common. That's true, but the person who's putting them together is Nightfall, and yeah. you know, at this point right now, we're not even sure if that's going to be continued or if that's just going to be another throwaway as well. And I'm not saying, you know, what you're saying is very valid, and I do believe that. And when I did see issue 13, I was like, okay, great, they're not just throwaways, as you said. But now it's like, if you're, and I'm not trying to say this, but if you're a DC per publisher and you see all these things are happening, it's kind of like, it's like you have, you know, the bigger plan, you know, it's coming down the line, but as a young, as a, as a new reader, as a young person or a person who's just getting into Batgirl, no one sees this. And it's kind of like, you got to take the pages for what they are. I get it. You're, you're putting more into it than it's supposed to. And that's what you do when you critique all these um, issues you're looking for all these uh, connections. And just like what you said with McKenna, you know, it wasn't developed, but you you assumed and you saw from all the things that were around her, it's like you should have picked that up. But for people, you know, some people just swap through these pages and they're like, well, I don't see it. But, you know, take it for for concrete of what's going on and how a new reader is looking at this. These characters don't, you know, form. They're not forming very well, and they're not attracting anyone. And towards issue 13, it's kind of like, aha, that's what's going to happen. But now that we know the fate of how, you know, Simone's, um, where Simone's going to be right now, it's kind of like up in the air. It's like, it may come through, it may not. We don't know how many scripts she has gotten through to DC, where it's going to be like, okay, we can continue the story, but it may, it may not make sense. You know, just like how Judd Winwick did with Batwing. He had something, the scripts were there, but it didn't flow because, you know, the writer wasn't there. So we don't even know how this is all going to plan out. And I'm not saying what you're, I'm not saying that what you are, you know, telling me right now here, what you're saying is valid, but I just think that overall they're just not concrete. And due to the fates, you know, it may, may, may or may not happen. But they are concrete in how she's laying out the story. Now I agree with everything you're saying as far first of all, I don't know how much we want to talk about this. Changing the guard when you've got this kind of path being laid out is baffling to me. So, I mean, I don't know. I don't know how you can like you. You have a writer who's clearly built a plan that led 13 issues to this point, and then you're going to continue having these. You know, this this would lead to a payoff. I, I don't know how you can do that. So, I mean, that's that's a whole different discussion because. This is clearly what she was doing with these characters. She was using them initially on the surface. As I guess what I'm trying to say is we were saying on the surface the only reason these characters were there, that was the initial discussion in the beginning, the only reason where they were there was to boost Barbara. But it's clear that they weren't just there for that. These things that looked like that Gail was doing in the background for no reason were clearly leading to something else. She was having <laughs> she was having us focus on Barbara Gordon because that's what we needed to do as readers. I needed that in the initial arcs because you know I'm a old time fan of Barbara and I want to know what does she look like in the New Fifty Two? What is her motivation? What's driving her? How much of what I knew about her as Oracle is still in play, and I'm not. I'm not even talking about was she actually Oracle. Donovan, Donovan made a great point there. It's it's pointless for us to even try to speculate because nothing has been laid out as far as that. And I guess I'm pretty much assuming the concept of Oracle as we've known it didn't happen. Um, but there are elements of the person that I loved of Oracle in this character, and that's being solely developed for me in this series. I guess what I like to know about villains, if you're going to create three new villains, 
I don't want them to be throwaways. I want those things to have led to something that makes sense to me later. I want to see them appear again and be further developed, which is, I think mm-hmm. one of the things we're all saying here right now is we want engaging villains that are yes. de- as well developed as the main hero. And I mm-hmm. actually 110% agree with that. Do I think that was the focus in the early parts of this series? No. I think the idea was for us to focus on Barbara Gordon I was glad at issue 13 to see, hey, cool, she's got an ongoing plan for the villains. Mm-hmm. That that puts the sting in for a lot of what Christina was saying. <laughs> <laughs> like, how do you change the guard when you've, like, okay, we've established three r- villains that have the potential to go together. Where are they going to go from here? Um, will another writer see that in a way where the readers who have been staying with this series all along feel like there was a payoff? Because I want a payoff to them. Um, here's the only thing I would say about that. Batman Hush is my favorite story ever, so I like oh, yes. the idea of the all-star villain cast. I love it. Throw them all in the book. Throw 50 of them in the book, but A to Z. I love it, right? <laughs> but I, when, when when you see Nightfall in issue 13, or Nightfall's lawyers getting these these other three villains out of jail, I didn't feel like, you know, oh, there's the Riddler and the Joker and Scarecrow, you know, insert your favorite three villains together. I felt, and, and I'm sorry if I feel like this, but when I saw him getting out of jail, my first thought was, these three? That's who she's going to get? You know? <laughs> like, of, of all the villains in the universe, these are the best three she can come up with? So I didn't get that feeling of, like you do when, you know, in, in the backup story right now in Batman, we see Joker and Penguin to got, you know, talking together. You, you, you get that, that real feeling of, well, these are two bad dudes. You know, something bad can happen here. You know, I kind of got the feeling of, and again, it was, it was it, and which is something to say, I love the book, even because I don't like the, the initial run of villains, but... I don't feel like they're all-star villains. I feel like they're bad yeah, villains there's, getting there's, a retread. There's you know? three that have personal feelings when it comes to Barbara, though. Because Absolutely. Because just been fighting her, and that's why Nightfall would pull them together, because like her, they have a personal gripe with Batgirl. They're not going to, like, the, like you start pulling in the Joker, the Penguin, and all that. Are they going to spend a lot of time on Batgirl? The only reason why they're going to spend time on Batgirl is to dig at Batman. And right. I don't want to see Batgirl continually used as being some kind of um, chess piece for Batman. And, I, and that's not a knock on Death of the Family. And, and that's... <laughs> story. Uh, I, 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 no, I, I mean, I genuinely don't mean it that way. That yes, is I a am. Batman. That's a Batman family crossover. I'm actually... I adore that story. But I don't want to go there because it's derailing the conversation here, which was really focused on Barbara. <laughs> Barbara's book, I really want to see villains being established that have nothing to do with her being some kind of chess piece for Batman. It's the same right. thing I see in Dick Grayson's book. I want to see a rogues gallery that isn't always tied back to, I think it'd be cheap to throw the penguin in here. Oh, no, 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 no. Oh, no, God. No, <laughs> well, he's in every other book. Yeah, well, why not bring him in here? No, I, th- I think you, you misunderstand. I, I'm actually agreeing with you. I agree with the idea is great mm-hmm. of developing her own, mm-hmm. her own characters. I love the idea. I just don't think the execution was great. And I yeah. think if anything summed up my feelings on this book was there is a lot of great ideas in these books. The mm-hmm. execution isn't great, if that makes sense. Yeah. You know, yeah. a lot of setup, a lot of setup, no payoff. The one thing that I would uh, kind of I kind of arch my eyebrow at is that the idea that these villains were introduced for something better on down the line, which uh, – Correct me if I'm wrong. I think it's what you're saying a lot, Sean. That like, like in issue 13, we're seeing the 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 pre-planned development of them continue to unravel, and 
I kind of question that on one end because I think uh, I got the feeling. I think like, this could be because you know how the way it was written that the villains were you know just made to be villains. The idea that they were kind of introduced for setup for to sort of have a Legion of Doom esque type of return later on down the line. I not sure where I see that besides the fact that they are coming back. I mean, a lot yeah. of Batman villains come back anyway, so I mean, and, I mean, hell, it happened in uh, the other books. I mean, if you want to take, for instance, uh, uh, Tim Drake's Robin series, he had uh, more than once gone up against the General um, King Snake, and I think that those villains were instances where we see that they did go up against the character, they could return, but I think they're just sort of introduced for a, a relationship. I'm not sure if I'm, I would go far to say that Gail Simone had a plan for them from the get-go. I think it's just, it's honestly just basic comic book telling stories. You don't just, you don't I, think that she plans 13 issues into her arc? Yeah, I, I, yeah I, she does. I mean, in many interviews, she has stated how far that she'll go as far as um, planning overarching. I guarantee you she knew that she was going to bring these three characters back in 13. Well, she's a, she's a phenomenal writer, so she's going to do that. I think... Like Ed said, it's the execution. I think that's generally what this book was missing is like execution. And if I had seen that there was a dark figure cloak talking to them or, you know, seeing them or watching them from afar, I would say, yeah, there's something coming. There's something happening. Not when issue 13 comes. Oh, she gathers them up. They're all sitting there talking to her goons. It's like. Nightfall for me had no interaction with Batgirl, and that was my biggest concern for her. And, you know, I do believe that Gail Simone had a plan. Was execution there? No. Were the editors probably shoving down her throat saying, we need to make Batgirl hot now, today? (laughs) I think that's what they were doing there. I really do. Because Gail Simone, she, like I said, she hits things out the park. She's been hitting bunts. And this this is what we have. We have the bunts. And we're all saying, you know, it's like... You know, you're kind of saying like, well, the bunts are there, but they're, you know, we're getting to the basis. No, we want to see. Oh, I wasn't saying the bunts are there. I, I think we're in a, di- I, we're in a different place as far as our viewpoint on the execution. I'm not saying that you're wrong to feel that way. You're entitled to your opinion, and mm-hmm. that's why I'm, I'm not like, I'm going out of way to not try and say you're wrong or anything like that because I'm trying to let you have your viewpoint and say that you have bunts. But I guess I should because I haven't really come out and said it. I don't think these are bunts. I'm really enjoying the series. So I'm in I'm in a very different place than you are with regards to that. Um, I'm trying to be respectful and let you guys voice that opinion. But I I do think to a certain extent I think I'm a different perspective than the rest of you here in that I've been since issue one and am currently really loving this series. So I don't feel these are bunts. So, um, so I'm, is... I, I'm in a I'm in a very different place I think than everyone else in this discussion. And I don't mean that. Um, I, I don't want it to all be about me. That's why I'm like, you know, backing off when you guys are saying those things and not saying, oh, you're wrong and all that, because I think people need to hear your perspective on that. And I think it's re- really relevant and important because there might, could be somebody listening that's listening to this and saying, oh, that's how I was feeling. Mm-hmm. And I'm hoping that, you know, on my end, there's probably people who are enjoying the series the way I am. And then there's people that fall in the middle. Yeah. So, listeners out there, we'll just say that Sean is a pro plus. So, he's even more <laughs> pro than Christina and Ed. And then you've got the two negative Nancys, Donovan and I. Uh, but, no, I think that everyone is being respectful. And hopefully, yeah, we're just accepting everyone's opinion. as See, they remain that way by the end. Opinions. Uh, well, 
I oh, hope we'll get so. There. That would be yeah. awful. Um, no I'm, I'm enjoying this discussion, and yeah. I'm really enjoying this discussion a great deal. I'm actually enjoying listening to people's different perspectives. It's always fun to see that we can all read this same material and, and yeah. connect with it in different ways just because we're different people. I think that's one of the joys of comics, being able to have these geeky discussions. Yeah. <laughs> you know Very what, though? It's, it's funny because I just thought about this. I'm sorry to throw it in there like this, but mm-hmm. you keep using the baseball analogy, the bunt, right? Yeah. <laughs> I, 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 but I'm going to say something, that he, being a, being a big, big baseball fan, and I do love Gail Simone as a writer, I think that to me this is Albert Pujols who's bunting. And I don't want Albert Pujols to bunt. I want him to swing for the fences. Right. I don't want her to bunt. I want her to do something super cool and super different and awesome. And I think that that's, you know, it is a bunt, and I want her to hit home runs. It's the managers that are taking to, her down. Try to put it on Google who Albert Pujols is. <laughs> Albert <laughs> They call him the machine. So, uh, but no, I think that's the point is that I think Gail Simone is an elite comic book writer, period. Mm-hmm. And this is something we brought up last time. I don't think that there's any doubt that the limitations put on her by DC Editorial for this book were extreme to say the least mm-hmm. on what she could do and she couldn't do. What and I just, uh, limitations do you think were uh, apparent in the, in the title? Like what limitations like, you know, not – besides not mentioning the other, the other characters and uh, saying well, how I she think, walked again, what else? I, I think the whole fact that – she was told, okay, you have to write the back – you're going to write the Batgirl stories, and mm-hmm. Barbara's going to be back in the lead character's role, and you don't, we're not going to show how she came back from her injury, and it only happened in five years, and don't bring up the other Batgirls. By the way, don't, don't touch on that whole Oracle thing, but other than that, do whatever you want. You know, I mean, I might be wrong. I don't work at DC, but that's how I've always yeah. felt that she was uber handcuffed throughout this. But I also think she had to submit her whatever she was thinking, planning. She had to submit it up to the top, and they had to say, "Be one with God, go with it," or say, "No, you're not doing it. Change it up." I, that's what I kind of feel like, because you know, Simone did Secret Six, and that was beyond. That was wonderfully done, and it went to places where people to this day are still baffled by it. Now, even I'm still baffled. <laughs> by it when I read it, you know. I remember that last issue. <laughs> My, my frustration is a little different, and I will use the baseball analogy. See, I guess for me it's been like Babe Ruth, you know, hitting this great series for me, and, and I've been watching and enjoying every game, and I'm seeing it build towards the playoffs and the World Series, which I like long-form storytelling. I like seeing a character develop over time. I think it's something that's a lost art in comics. Um, I think too often nowadays we get used to you have to get into the – you know, the four to six issue trade format, and you can't have storylines that develop over a longer stretch. I like these short form stories that are building to something bigger, where there's an interconnectivity between them. But the big frustration is when you do that, you've got to let your hitter, using the analogy again, take it all the way to the World Series, or we as the reader are left like wondering, where was this going to go? And I don't want that. And I feel like that's where this whole thing's baffling to me. Um, is that I've, I'm seeing this build. I'm intrigued by it. I want to see where this is paying off because, you know, you, when you look at Nightfall's resources and things that have been established in that storyline, okay, she's taking people because Nightfall, there's no way like a Deathstroke, the Penguin, um, Captain Cold, you know, these big high ends, the Cheetah, are all of a sudden going to get linked in with Nightfall. They're not going to take a character like that seriously. Right. These smaller fry that, like, have been introduced here who have a genuine gripe against Batgirl, they could be manipulated and paid into following 
somebody with some resources into it. So that makes sense to me. That's why these three being pulled into it, I'm like, I'm into this. And you don't have to agree with me on that, but I think it's good for people to see the different perspective because you, you clearly laid out why you feel that fell flat, but I'm in a different perspective where I've been like, no, this is making sense to me with these characters being who they are. They need somebody to guide them with resources and somebody who uh, these bigger villains that are in the DC universe, I would be really upset right now if I turn to the page on issue 13 and I see three heavy hitters from DC agreeing to work with Nightfall. Oh, you don't want to see the Cavalier and Killer Moth agreeing to work with Nightfall? Hey, 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 back off Killer Moth. Hey, man, I love Killer Moth. I love him. I totally respect the Moth. You know, it, Ed brought up Hush, and now that I'm thinking of it, mm-hmm. you know, Hush really connects to this because we, we did have that, that huge cast, and then we sort of had Hush, or we thought was on top of all of these guys, which would sort of be the Nightfall person. And then now I'm wondering, hey, is there a Riddler at the top, top? And is that James Jr.? Is he somehow organizing it all? And uh, if that were true, how would that work out? But oh, again, who knows what's going to happen with, uh, with Simone being gone. So mm-hmm. that is going to be an interesting thing. Now, I do have to say about editorial, you know, it's they do seem to put some some – very tight boxes around the writers and what they need to do. Brian Q. Miller, in an interview, he told me that basically they told him Stephanie Brown is Batgirl, and he asked, well, what about Cassandra? Well, you just need to figure out how how the the cow changes. So they give them the limitations, and he's sort of had to run with it. So I, I feel like DC somehow put um, Gail Simone on some sort of leash that she couldn't do so much. And I don't understand why. I mean, I don't think we can talk about that because that's going to be a huge debate about why was she let go. But when you let, number one, they're letting a female writer go. And we haven't had to. Yeah. Well, she was the only one. She was the only one in the New 52. We didn't even have, um, who's the artist? What's her name? Amy Reader. Amy Reader. Yes. And then who was doing Power Girl? That's the name that I was blanking on. Nicholas Scott. Oh, Amanda Connor. Yeah, Amanda Connor was the one I was thinking. Of. Like, we didn't have those in the beginning in the New 52. That, so, Gail Simone was the female. And now we have Anna Senti. But Simone's gone. We, so, we're losing a female. We're, we're losing a pretty big name in Simone. And it, it was sort of rude that uh, she was just gone in sort of a phone message or a text message or whatever. But I think <laughs> this proves, yeah, I think this proves to us that no one's safe because it's been happening all over the place. Um, mm-hmm. And I'm I'm a little fearful for who is going to take over the book next. One of my friends on Facebook jokingly said uh, Scott Lobdell, and I said that would be the worst thing to ever happen to Batgirl. Easy. Easy. Sorry, I don't. <laughs> you I don't want to enjoy his writing. Talk? I apologize. I just don't like him as a writer. But let's yeah. move on. Well, unless you want. Can to I say, say one thing on about that. the female writer thing, though? Sure. And I genuinely mean this. Obviously, I've made it pretty abundantly clear my feelings on Gail Simone as a writer here. I don't look at her as my favorite female writer. Okay. I look at her as my favorite writer. Mm-hmm. And I, th- I would really love to see a time in comics like. My favorite artist right now going is Nicola Scott. Okay. I've liked her work um, in Birds of Prey, Secret Six. There was something about that artwork when she came on that I connected with. But it wasn't because she was a female artist. It was because I think she's just a really darn good artist. <laughs> and I think with art, that's always going to be very subjective. Everyone's got their own favorite flavors and things like that. But um, I would really love to see in comics more female talent mm-hmm. 
get the chance because I think there's so many great females out there that are doing this. I, I, and I want it to the point where we as readers can just enjoy the work um, where we don't have to worry about that balance because it's just naturally the best people get the best jobs um, in the comics industry. <laughs> right. Yeah, I do and understand. I, yeah. And I don't, I don't think her being fired via email was kind of rude. I think that was <laughs> full blown. I mean, like yeah. my neighbor leaving on his blinking Christmas lights all night, and I can see him through my bathroom window. That's kind of rude, you know. But being fired via email is just brutal. That's awful. Yeah. Yeah. Well, let's move on to uh, the next arc, which was Gretel, and it was only two issues, so hopefully it won't take too terribly long. But I think Sean made the brought up the point that Gretel's main purpose was sort of to bring. Uh, Batgirl and Batman together, and I think this probably was a question that readers would have liked, old readers anyways, would have liked to know, and is sort of what is the status between the two, what is their relationship, and we saw that it was pretty chummy-chummy. My opinion was that Batman's voice was a little off, because I don't think he'd ever be that loving, especially when he's having some issues with his son. Uh, But Gretel, in my opinion, was the worst villain, and there were so many things that I feel were left open that weren't even... Um, explored, like, why she sort of had this this lethargic look on her face. That's probably not the best word. But just, like, she was drugged out, and, like, there was even a comment about that, but that was never explored. Like, is is there something going on? Is she sort of, like, the speedball that turned into, um, what's his name in Marvel? Penance, oh, well, yeah, where yeah. He, he gets his power from pain. Was there something with that? I, I don't know. But there was a lot of stuff not explored with her. And then we saw, again, that she had a tragic past, uh, so what did you think about the villain? Why didn't you like her? Because I assumed maybe no one did. Maybe Sean liked her. Uh, and then what did you think about the relationship that was brought up between Batman and Batgirl? Well, I, I'll go first on this one. One, I thought Gretel was was not great, but I did think it was interesting that she was suffering from physical trauma, very similar to you know Batgirl, severe physical trauma, you know, kind of a counterpoint to, to Mir out of the first four issues. But here's the thing I, I can say about, again, about Simone's writing and especially these issues. As much as I dislike Gretel, the character, I really enjoyed reading these issues. I love the play between Bruce and Barbara and the fact that, you know, she has to come to the rescue of Bruce for once, which is, you know, a, a fun thing. So I just – I liked all – I think the books were wrote to have a Bruce Wayne-Barbara story, and we have to put a villain in, so we're going to come up with Gretel. But I, I, I love the book. I love the books. I love the Bruce and Barbara story. I just – you know, especially at the end when they're both in costume and fighting out again. But but so that's my I guess my overall feeling is didn't like Gretel too much, but I still really really enjoyed the issues. My thing with Gretel is that uh, and it goes a lot with the motivations of the villains, which I can kind of see from afar where Simone's coming from. But I think in again going back to execution, it, it kind of falls flat. I think in this case it just plainly falls flat. In that Gretel's storyline is that she was shot by a a mobster. And her parents and her family, friends and family never visited her. And correct me if I'm wrong, because I wouldn't mind being so. Was there any reason given for that? Was there any reason that no one's... I mean, it seemed to be just a reason just to have her be sympathetic, because wouldn't it be cool if a villain had no, no friends, and that's why she's a villain, because no one came to see her in the hospital? And I don't understand that. I mean, it's an, it's an interesting idea, but... Why did that not happen? So that's why that to me is like, you know, okay, you have this person who's injured by the mob. That's one thing. That's fine. But the big emotional pull, the big draw in which, you know, Batgirl is an emotional book uh, innately. So because of the motivation. 
That wasn't her motivation, though. She was an investigative reporter who got shot three times in the head by Boss Whitaker. Right. And after that, because she was, what happened to her was like ruining her, you know, basically took control of her life. When she woke up, she had these powers to take over the minds of men, which is her focus of, you know, why she's drunk with power going after men. It was a man who did this to her, a man that she was investigating. She infiltrated that mob family for the purpose to expose the corruption in the city. And, you know, when, when they found out about her, you know, like anybody who's an informant, that they took her out, which is what would happen. Um, so it wasn't her family. I mean, I agree with you that that was uh, the family thing was established, but that wasn't her motivation. She was after the Whitaker family because of the fact that um, the crime boss did this to her. And that then led to this whole being drunk with power, that that sequence where, you know, she has that face where she's like, um, where Barbara's even commenting on the fact that like, she looks like he's John Heroin or something like that. That was her powers, you know, with the bullet in her head that was driving. I mean, you don't have to, I'm not saying you have to like Gretel because of but That's what was happening in the story. That was her powers that were driving that emotional response that she had there. Um, whether you like that or not, that's, you know, obviously up to your perspective. But her motivation was not driven by her family. It was the fact that she, she was this reporter that had this done to her by a mob boss. Mm-hmm. Well, I think that like that serves as a uh, uh, an an origin story, and I know that she went after. I know I know that that plays a part in it, but I think that like, at least in the way that Simone was writing the story, the whole no one visited her in the hospital. I think that was intended to play a part in why she's I'm trying to remember exactly how this plays out. But the first, the first, it, was, it wasn't so much as a throwaway as, as it was sort of like you know, sort of a a double whammy in terms of her uh, her sympathy as a villain. The first. Pages of that issue, though, you know, if we're, if we're taking a look at issue five, we're totally devoted to that mob family for the purpose of establishing Gretel's motivations. Okay. I mean, they were, the, the whole issue was introduced with that mob family, and that was the introduction to Gretel. Yeah, but yeah. I, don't, I don't think that, that that disregards my feelings on, you know, their, her origin in the hospital, though. I mean, I know that she's, she's concentrated on the, on the mob family, but I think that, like... I mean, I don't feel, I don't think it's, I mean, that's, that's, just stick with that, is what I'm saying. I mean, I, I feel that, like, that was a really big hiccup in explaining the character. I mean, we just, if it was just, it was just, if it was just with the mob family, that's one thing. That doesn't really redeem her, but that makes her a little bit more consistent. But I feel as though, I mean, I mean, and you guys, you guys had mentioned before that her name is Gretel because she, what? She brings Batgirl and Batman together? Uh, really? I mean, I don't know. It's, it, it, I think the I think the concept of Gretel just uh, overall is is very abstract and not really well defined. Even though she has a very discernible origin with being an investigative reporter who was shot by the mob. That being, I mean, even that being the case, I don't think that like her. And I know we're kind of critiquing this villain as uh, a way to critique the arc. Where, um, but I don't I, think it really works where are you out. seeing? I guess where are you seeing this big focus on her family? Because I mean, I've got like the second issue of that in front of me. And, I mean, there is, there's a line here, I awoke alone with no visitors, no get-well cards, no precious teddy bears, no loved ones for ambitious Lizzie Bonner. But I, I guess I don't see where there's this heavy focus on her family as being a motivator. I don't see that anywhere. Well, the fact that she was alone, I think that's Donovan's whole point, that she's yeah. completely alone. Whereas if she were surrounded by friends and loved ones like Barbara was, then mm-hmm. perhaps she would have been influenced more to the positive side rather than to the dark side. Is that your point, Donovan? Yeah, I'm not saying that like she's she's running around screaming my family didn't love me. But what I'm saying is the fact that that's that's inserted in the origin 
to me, just like just like just blankly supposed to set up this sort of like emotional pull of the character. It's not just the mob and her being shot. It's that mm-hmm. compounded with it. The, the thing what I got from Gretel, and it's basically, you know, for all the villains on this, in this entire comic book title, is that they're all mirrors of her. They're all being pulled out of Batgirl, and they're all being, they're, they're standing up around her saying, we are part of you. And, you know, that's how I kind of felt last time when I spoke about it, that Batman has all these rogues, Riddler, Penguin, Joker, they're all part of him in a way that they're all, they're kind of like the the self-destructive or the dark side of him or the native side of him that come up and they're using whatever they have that's probably, you know, for Riddler, he's smarter. So he uses his smarts or his intelligence to hurt other people. Same thing with Gretel. Gretel was shot, so was Batgirl. And that therefore that's a mirror image for mm-hmm. Batgirl to say like, oh my God, she's gone through a similar situation, but she's taken it into such a different um, outlook where she's hurting people, she's going after men. Batgirl could have done the same thing, killed Joker, just like not trying not trying to bring this up spoilers, trying to bring this up later in the comic in the comic book title that came out today, issue fifteen. She could have gone dark after that. And you know, I kind of feel that Barbara is treading those lines where it's like her judgment of light and dark are starting to intertwine because of her hatred and her fear of going back into the wheelchair of seeing um joker again of interacting with her brother because it's like those are parts of her where she can actually go full-on dark and i feel that for gretel and not you know i didn't like the character because i I think the it wasn't built up the way it's supposed to it was just kind of rushed that gretel's purpose was just to show that this is the mirror image and you need to take this down you need to fight yourself learn from gretel Try not to go this dark down the road. And, you know, uh, if, you know, if Simone had built her up maybe in three issues, maybe just one more issue, maybe I would have appreciated the character so much more instead of this quick one-two, that's it, done. And that I think that's more editorial, and that's not more Simone, but, you know, I just wish that there was some more, like you, Donovan, I wish there was a little bit more integral that we could have munched on so we could say, I like this character, I favor this character we can go forward, you know, have that kind of completeness of, you know, diving into the villains because, you know, just like heroes, we love hearing about the heroes, but we love their villains a little bit more because it shows the darkness, the dark part of them. It shows, you know, a different side to what the hero cannot experience, but what the villain can. That's how I feel about Gretel. My only drawback to that, first of all, I, I actually agree with everything, everything you're both saying as far as wanting to see more establishment of the villains that were in here. I actually, so I, I want to qualify that. I don't think there's anything wrong with anything that you're saying there. My problem is we're talking about six issues into a series where we have basically, for all extents and purposes, rebooted Batgirl to being only five years into her career. And how much time can you spend in those initial six issues if you go the other route and skew the other end, then the conversation we're going to be having is, I wanted more Barbara. Where is the Barbara in all of this? Um, the reason why I was so happy with seeing in issue 13 that we're coming back to these characters is because I want to see more of them. I want to learn all the things that you're mentioning. So I, agree, I, I think there are certain areas where we all kind of veer off, or and, and it might be individually in certain areas too where we all do that, but 
Um, and then there's areas where I come back and I'm like sitting here, I'm nodding when you're saying like you want to see more establishment of these villains and that's something that you think that should be done. Um, I know you thought that they should have been done on those issues, but then I would have been like, but then you're going to lose these moments that she had with Bruce. Like where do you put that in the number of story pages that she had? And you take out those moments with Bruce in the mirror story. You take out the, we didn't even talk about this, the issue with Nightwing, which I think was pivotal to show her relationship with the Bat family. We want to see what's going on with her and Nightwing. You need to put those things in there along the way as well. So I guess my problem is where do you put that when the title of the book is Batgirl without losing Barbara? And I want to see those things. I want to see these characters revisited and brought back because I want everything you're all saying. So I'm not against any of that. And I think what you're saying makes sense. We do need more development with Gretel. I want to see more of where she's going from here because I want everything. Amen, you're saying. So I agree with it. And if I'm coming off and I don't, I want to clarify that because I think that that's interesting. And I do see Donovan's point looking at they're saying that, you know, you're, there is a, an element of the fact that she was alone. And if that was the establishment that you're talking about there, Donovan, that is there. And I want to clarify that I'm listening to that, and I, I agree with that. I misunderstood you. I, I guess I thought you meant you were saying that this was like some kind of big, heavy thing that they spent a lot of exposition on, and they didn't. It was like one panel that established that she was alone. But you're right. That's a point to her. And I actually want to see more of what her family background was like as the characters developed further to find out how much of that is a part of her. So I guess, do you, what would you have taken out is I guess my question for the, everyone here in order to do these things that you're saying, uh, what parts of Barbara's establishment in this would you not have done? Well, for one thing, I think that like we're saying that like we need to either add or subtract something to make this story better. I think that to me just kind of speaks to Gil Simone's limitations as a writer, like just very quite frankly, but I feel as though I think I think all these villains are meant to be secondary. They're obviously meant to be secondary characters in you know how we uh, perceive them and you know relate to them, so we can believe in them as villains. Except for grotesque, we don't know what his deal is. But um, I think in Gretel's case, if she's supposed to be, because I never got a sense that she was supposed to be a, a dark reflection of Batgirl. I mean, at least if I did get that sense, it was a fleeting sort of response to her. I think that like this story was supposed to be more about. Barbara's relationship to Batman, which apparently hasn't really changed. <laughs> I think we're sort of establishing that just for context's sake. I'm not. I think that Gretel can either be just uh, a villain who wants, who was, you know, who wants revenge against the mob, or somebody who really uh, strikes at Barbara psychologically. I think that like Simone was trying to have it both ways, and it didn't. It didn't fill up the 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 bottle, so to speak, to the point where it was really. No, we, we took we know we didn't we didn't take it at face value essentially because there wasn't much to sort of you know take in the face of all this you know Bruce and Babs building, which I'm not saying I, I really dis disliked. I think that the, the Bruce and Babs stuff, and if we're talking about the storyline, I did I don't have a major problem with it. Although I I don't like the line "You're always meant to be Batgirl" because that kind of keeps her in what I feel is a regression of the character. But I think that like the storyline, as uh, put upon by uh, by Gretel, is a bit hampered because Gretel's sort of one part psychological villain, one part thematic challenge for Batgirl, and then one part, you know, revenge story. And I think that she needs to be kind of be, you know, be fuller in one, one aspect and, or lesser in another aspect, which we're all basically saying. Well, I, I think, though, that, that it, it does speak, and I just happen to have a <clears throat> issue number six handy. Um, I think it speaks really, really directly to, you know, the, the very last thing it says in the issue is, 
and I think Donovan makes a great point about her family because the the, it, the point that Batgirl makes at the end of issue six is I this is verbatim I had people who love me or I could have been Gretel. So I think that one of the focal points of the story is the fact that she doesn't have any family and doesn't have anyone to care for because I mean it says word for word I had people who love me or I could have been Gretel. You know. I think that's supposed to be what this whole story that was saying is that about. That was Gretel's motivation. That was saying that Barbara learned that because Gretel didn't have those people to support her. That wasn't Gretel's motivation, though. Her motivation was the mob boss. That we're saying yeah. we're changing what was said. What was said initially is that Gretel's motivation was that she had no family. That wasn't her motivation. That was the only point okay. that I made. I actually everything you're saying now, I agree 110 percent with that. That was part of that point. I agree. What are we arguing about? Why can't we be friends? <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, are there any other points on uh, on Gretel that you would like to make? Why she changes her wig color? That bothered me too. <laughs> one time it was green, the next why consistency. Why? Why is her name Gretel again? Okay, never mind. Why not? Why not? I why not? That's exactly the point. Oh, okay. I don't know. Does it have something to do with Hansel and Gretel, or she I just decided to come up with that? Was that her original I, name? I, I guess. I guess I took it because of the candy-colored hair that she kept flipping. Oh, the... yeah. But I'll admittedly, hang on. Admittedly, uh, that's the, I'll be glad to openly admit this. I'm not quite sure where the name Gretel came from. Yeah, I don't think that's, it's that is me, That's me inferring because mm -hmm. the hairstyle kept changing. I took the wigs changing, and this is, again, me just kind of as a way to let us know that she was wearing wigs instead of having her natural hair or to make us think, you know, what's going on with her hair. And then to, for the reveal that like, she's really bald because of what happened later. Yeah. Um, I thought that was meant to be a tease, but again, that's, I openly admitting I'm speculating on that versus anything else. Yeah. She's like Sophia Gigante in a, um, what's it called? Dark victory because she has the, wig oh, right. covers yeah. up the, uh, the, the scars and everything. Uh, well, let's move on to the next one. Again, not really my favorite. I think he was a, a little better done than Gretel. But we have Grotesque, uh, basically this guy with uh, a demonic-looking mask. And sort of tied to this introduction, we also have really the fall, the fallout of the killing joke and Roy Barber sort of getting over everything because one of Grotesque's henchmen was in fact a henchman that worked for Joker, and we find out later that he ended up calling after he left her apartment on that fateful night so many years ago, um, and getting the the police to come and pick her up and everything. So how do how do you feel Killing Joke wrapped up in this, or her, I guess her PTSD, maybe just her her issue over all of this? Do you think it took a long time for this to happen? Does it happen in a fitting place? And then, of course, what did you think about the villain? I, I think it was a fitting place okay. because there's a, there's a catalyst for it. And the catalyst mm -hmm. is the fact that the same henchman that was there on the night of the killing joke is there. If it had been just grotesque and a couple random henchmen, I don't think it would have been someone was, that was there when she got crippled. I think that makes the timing very good. That, but again, I, I think that it's, it's somewhat telling of grotesque that his henchman is far more interesting than he is. You know, so but I do think it's appropriate because the henchman's there and that kind of brings it all full circle. Wasn't he supposed to be though? I mean, I and I guess I'm agreeing. I agree with everything you're saying there. I felt like the focus on this one was supposed to be the henchman versus absolutely because yeah, I, I, I thought the whole point was her to deal with like there's this there's this guy that like looked like a random henchman at first, and he was there when I was shot. 
Um, so I, I really think grotesque was meant to be a background. It, I totally took this is one I won't dispute anybody who says grotesque was a background character and all this. A hundred and ten percent agree on that. I think that was the point of him. He's window dressing, right? I mean, isn't that all? I mean, and, and that's fine because the issues, you know, I think the, the Killing Joke revisited kind of plays well. But the, I mean, grotesque is just window dressing. I mean, he's just there because we we need we need this henchman to be somebody's henchman so we can relate to him as i'm saying henchman a lot as a henchman so we kind of have this generic villain who happens to have henchmen that's the way i that's the way i took it i don't mind the fact that grotesque isn't the main focus of the story because it's supposed to deal with barbara's uh you know her coming face to face with the man who was standing next to her when she was shot mm-hmm. but um i <laughs> I mean, I, I've already established on the Batman universe. This is probably my least. This is probably this is by far my least favorite story in the in the in the title, because I think that like the focus on not so much that the focus wasn't on grotesque, because you know he's introducing the story arc and he's not all that interesting. But I feel that like the the focus on Batgirl's coming to terms with her being shot and also simultaneously had to do with James Jr. returning and his and uh, Barbara's mom. I thought a lot of this was really, really haphazard. But Grotesque as a villain, I mean, he had a weird gimmick. He was called Grotesque, but I, I was kind of expecting sort of a calendar girl thing with him where he was basically ugly, but he wasn't. He sort of wore like an Oni mask and and has some sort of electrical gauntlets in his gloves. But I'm not sure what to really uh, say about him, to be honest, because he sort of has this gimmick of running around talking in flowery language, saying that he wanted to marry Batgirl. But, oh, I mean, yeah. I mean, he was. I mean, I, I guess he's Arkham Asylum, uh, uh, you know, fodder. But yeah, he. I mean, he, he's sort of like a, he's sort of like on the level of Cavalier to me in that he has a gimmick, and that he, I guess he talks weird or speaks weird. But uh, there's not much else to him. I'm not sure if there is any else to him. But so, uh, the storyline, I, I basically hated. Really? I really. Oh no, yeah. I, I do. I do think though that if you and this sounds silly, but if you take the grotesque parts out of these two books. There is a lot of, of cool story going on here. You've oh, got yeah. Jim Jim Gordon Jr. is back. You you know you find out why why you know Bab Senior quote unquote left because you know the guy killed cats. He's kind of Looney Tunes. We got that you know. So I think Wait, there's what? a lot of good story here. Well, you know the the whole scene with uh you know Bab Senior and the reason she left was that you know, Alaska. yeah he killed killed the cats and oh you said you know. killed cats. <laughs> <laughs> oh gosh. You're like I missed that part. Yeah. Uh, but no, I'm, I don't I, somebody I, to blame for that. So no, I just I just think that the, the story itself is really I mean I mean I think we're focusing too much and I you know I hate to, to you know say kind of derail things if, if if that's what it feels like I'm doing but I think we're focusing on a villain who wasn't the focus of these issues at all. You know I think the focus of these issues was Bab Senior was Jim Gordon Jr. and was Barbara's fault from the Killing Joke. So I think. The grotesque part of them, I think we all can agree, even pro-pro Sean, that <laughs> grotesque is forgettable, but that the issues themselves are really, really good. No, well, I don't agree with that. Okay, well. Well, we're <laughs> cons. Me and Ed. So. <laughs> I've read, I mean, issues of every superhero where there's thugs that are introduced because the whole point of the issue is to further the development of the supporting cast and the main character, but you also want action sequences in there because it's a comic book. Um, I actually liked your, the. Um, I know the comment before was that this this issue was modeled. I actually thought it was great that we saw that Barbara has a real life, like that she does have parents and that there's issues with the mom that has vanished and now the mom's coming back on the scene and life doesn't just stop because she puts on the cowl. 
her personal life is still going on behind the scenes. And there's events that are playing into this while she's trying to deal with this big psychological thing that we've been seeing that are now going to impact her personal life. And how is she going to keep going as Batgirl when she has to deal with all that? I honestly think that's one of the strengths of the Batgirl books. Stephanie Brown, when I loved her Brian Q, Brian Q. Miller series, I thought was absolutely tremendous. And I thought he did a great job of establishing a duality for Stephanie Brown, trying to develop a personal life in the life of the vigilante. Cass trying to learn how to deal with the real world when she yeah. was uh, a yeah. bad girl, which was, I thought, so rich about her. Um, I think you need to do that. And that was one of the things that I really liked in this issue was seeing not only her colleagues and Dinah Lance, but also seeing her dad and what was going on with mom coming on the scene. And that, that wasn't just dropped into Barbara seeing mom for the first time. We're knowing more than Barbara does in those moments. And I'm a mm-hmm. fan of that, like having that teased first, because you're, it's building an anticipation. I want to see Barbara's reaction to this. So I thought that was well done. And you don't, have to, you don't have to agree, but I thought that was a great part of the issue. And I agree that Grotesque was totally meant to be a throwaway there. So this, uh, Just for the sake of discussion, I want to kind of list the reasons why I excoriated this, this uh, issue. Mainly issue H. That was the one that really – I didn't have a problem with the, the first part, but uh, – in this storyline, we ha- we see that uh, Bab Senior returns and explains to uh, Barbara why I think it's Barbara why she leaves, and that's sort of compounded. And then I sort of has the dual uh, challenge for Batgirl when she's facing with this henchman, who at the end of the story, you know, figures out she's Batgirl, says that he called the cops, basically for no reason. <laughs> I mean, he says, you know, I I saw you saying there, I didn't mind, you know, I've seen people get shot before, I didn't care, I didn't care at all, but then I called the police anyway. And that kind of like really whiplash storytelling. To me, it felt like Gail Simone was trying to cover a lot of these really strong psychological beats. And it was too, they were too drastic for me to really, comp- uh, not comprehend, but to, for really to me accept. I think that like um, uh, a failing of the Bab Senior storyline is that like she, essentially, if you guys remember back in the original uh uh, Black Mirror story that introduced James Jr. or reintroduced him as this psychological psych- or psychopathic killer. I feel as though that like a big thing about James Jr.'s appeal was that we didn't know if he really was crazy or not in the in the beginning. Then eventually he revealed that he was. But much of the time during his uh, childhood, he was a lot more. There was a lot more subtlety to him, and I feel that like Gail Simone really pitched that out of the window when he threatened his own mother at at age ten. You know. I, I killed this cat, and now, you know, something, something, something. I think it's, I think it says, like, I'll blame it on you if you don't leave or whatever. And that just mm-hmm. completely rang false to me because even though he's crazy, he's a 10-year-old boy. Yeah. And the, the fact that the mother left and didn't explain to her, her police officer husband about any of that, it, it feels to me that as, as an example of Gail Simone really reaching for the stars in terms of strong, you know, uh, psychological drama and mm-hmm. kind of it's sort of like uh, missing a free throw I, I see what she's it's going so, for but it doesn't it, feel real to me we just I'll, changed the analogy to basketball yeah we gotta stay on baseball Donovan come on <laughs> I don't so like baseball she missed a, a, a bunt I don't know okay Christine I, what were you gonna say you know the thing is you're talking about James Jr. at 10 years old look at Damien <laughs> I mean Damien James, James Jr. killed Barbara's best friend in Black Mirror at that yeah. age and she mm-hmm. was in a whale which was discovered later on in Black Mirror. 
Mm -hmm. I mean, this isn't something that she's pulling out of nowhere. This was established in Black Mirror. And mom being disappeared has been something that has been in the history for ages. Um, now they're addressing, she's using something that was a, a small part in Black Mirror and fleshing it out to say, this was the reason why mom was gone. Well, in Black Mirror, I, there was, um, um, uh, what's her name? Sarah. Mm-hmm. And we also had Barbara Sr., who did – I was under the impression, at least before the New 52, that she left when James was still a baby. No? You know, I thought that too for some reason. Well, I have no documentary yeah. evidence, but I did. Hmm. I mean, I know that she was attacked by James Jr. later on in that storyline, but I got the impression that – and the continuity was weird anyway, but like uh, – she left before James Jr. really uh, asserted himself as, you know, someone creepy. Like, there was that scene where he was dressed up as the Joker for Halloween, and we see Gordon yelling at him, but I don't think we see his biological mother reacting. I'm not sure if she's there or whatever. All because, I can say is, where's Dustin for this? He's a timeline dude. Where yeah. is he? <laughs> Get out the Who string, knows? Dustin. He's stringing right now. That's why he's so busy. He couldn't <laughs> he's he's too busy fighting crime. He's wrapped up. Um, well, in Dark Victory, which I feel like is in continuity, they uh, Babs and James were both away. They were in, away in Chicago because they were separated, technically, even though she came back. And he was young then. So I feel like she did leave while he was young, but younger than this 10-year-old child. It's hard to say now with the new 52, uh, which yeah. I don't like saying. But, I mean, uh, my point is that, yeah, James Jr. was shown to be creepy. I mean, he could have killed uh, a young girl when he was a, a child, but the point is that, like, he, did. he was never, but he was never really, like, you know, explicitly evil. There was always a will he, will, or is he, is he not sort of aspect to him up till the very end, even when right. he was a kid. So when he actually comes out and says, you know, when he actually twists his mustache in front of Barbara Sr., why does she, why does she tell wow. her husband? Why doesn't she tell anybody? Because he's a boy. I mean, he, that's why he was creepy beforehand, because he didn't do, he didn't tip his hand like that. And I think that that kind of relates towards the uh, the the killing joke aspect of it, where the henchman tells Barb uh, Batgirl, who I, who I guess who instantaneously before he dies realizes that she's Batgirl, that you know, oh, there was this girl that you remind me of that that we shot when I was with the Joker, and I saw her bleed out, and I didn't. He he actually explicitly says, I didn't care, I, I didn't mind, but I called the cops anyway. And then it's like, why are we having these things? I mean, is it even important that that we have this henchman here? Why not the actual Joker, which I, I know we're we're dealing with in the current storyline. Yeah. But that to me, and sort of the reason why I am a con in this discussion is that like, this book is so emotionally and psychologically driven that it's it's too hard to really like, you know, take it face value. I mean, you had Cassandra, who was basically, a, you know, a human alien. And like, you know, there was a lot of things that she had to kind of come to terms with and deal with. But it was, so, it was told in a, a little bit more of an understandable place because we saw her try new things. Where is this in comparison? I feel the Gail Simone's trying to kind of come from a place where nobody can really relate to. And it kind of feels like she's trying to write about something that she doesn't really know about. And every comic book writer does because this is superhero fiction. Mm -hmm. But she's trying to approach it from a sort of like Law and Order, SCI, CSI kind of, you know, serial killer uh, standard. And it kind of feels false. I'm not saying kind of. It feels false to me. Here's the one thing, though. Any person who's been through some horrible trauma tries to find reason that she was confronting one of the thugs looking for him to give her validation there was a reason for what she went through he basically con confirmed for her that he was just there called the police there's no remorse she was looking for some form of closure from him 
and discovered what most people find in horrid situations like that. He's not the guy she's ever going to find closure from. He's not going to apologize to her. He doesn't feel any remorse or regret. He doesn't even know. She's faceless to him for all extensive purposes. She, Batgirl reminds her of that girl. And even if Batgirl came out and said, I am that girl, this guy wouldn't apologize for it. He just didn't care. And that gave her no sense of closure, which people in trauma go through all the time. That was the thing that I thought was brilliant about this. I would have, I would have actually disliked it if it would have gone to the old... And I feel really bad about it now because I think that's done too often. This guy was a mm -hmm. thug. He was a paid thug. He didn't have any emotional connection to what happened there. He probably, you know, done this kind of thing countless times. Or if not, not even talking about the violent end of it, just through stealing and things like that had ruined people's lives um, through things that he'd done as a thug being a part of the Joker's gang. Um I liked that aspect of it because it just showed that, you know, she's not going to find that hope, that positive reason from all this. But if he didn't well, yeah. care at all, why did he call? Why did he call for help? See, I, I always took that. He said that. Uh, he said it was just kind of something that he did. Okay. <laughs> and I see, think that is a lot that stings. See, I, 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 see I disagree with that. I, I think that he did it because – he was. Pro I think that was supposed to show us that he was trying to be hard and he was trying to be tough, but he actually did feel bad about it. At least that's what I took from it. Uh, I don't think so. I don't think he was. I don't think he felt bad about it. It was kind of like you know, there's some people who know that they can help, and there's some people who are like, let's let's give it up to luck, chance. And I think for him, he just gave it up to chance. It was kind of like, eh, you, say, did you live? Did you have a good fart? Okay, <laughs> let's go. <laughs> you know, that's quite an analogy. <laughs> It's it's true. He really he really honestly didn't care. Part of him maybe, but he just left it up to chance and coin. You know, he's a thug. You know, he knows how the life and the game works. And you know, I that's something that I kind of you know got from him. And I and I like that about him. It's like by chance, she probably wouldn't have lived or, or survived had he not called. You know, I, I do at least appreciate that. Sort of Simone throws that story on its head and and adds a new dimension to it. Uh, so mm -hmm. I do I I can look favorably upon that. Now, my issue with the, the Barbara Gordon Sr. thing is that I totally get Sean's point about seeing a different side of Babs, just like we saw Stephanie Brown and Cassandra Kane. I think that the difference uh, from those two lies in the fact that there is so much going on in this book. And I think with Steph Brown and Cass, uh, we really focused on and zoomed in on one issue. Like at the beginning for Cass, it was all about her sort of learning to speak. And then later on, you know, starting to communicate with people and gaining friends and learning about the world and things like that. The very first issue, we're thrown, hey, I'm moving out of my house. I'm going to move in somewhere else. I don't have a job. I've got a roommate. Now we have her mom coming in. And the fact is that this is Batgirl, and I want to know about Barbara Gordon. And you guys have been saying that, yeah, we're learning about Babs. We're worrying about her. But I feel like I'm not learning about her at all, and it's all masked by all this other stuff. And I'm fine. Uh, I love uh, minor characters. You really, I think, need a supporting cast like Spider-Man um, in order to have a great book. But I think that so much was thrown at us at once that nothing has been developed well. And I think that just throwing Bab Sr. on top of it all and having her deal with the ramifications from Killing Joke was just too much. And that's why I look down upon Bab Sr. coming out because it just seems so random. Hey, I'm back in town. Let's have muffins. 
So, I mean, <laughs> those are my my thoughts on that, and that's why I, I didn't enjoy this arc as much. Well, they do. They get muffins. Remember, she yeah, said, really I've reached my that. carb limit for the day. You know, she talks about that. So I don't know yeah. if you have any comments on that. I just feel that with um, Bab Sr. coming in, you know, this whole issue for right now for grotesque, it was all psychological. It's like we see, we now see that Batgirl has gotten back into the game. She's still able to fight. She's going after Grotesque, a guy who we don't really care about, you know, and it's like, we see her as Batgirl. She's doing a pretty much decently as as Batgirl, but as Barbara Gordon, she fails because it's like there's so many more problems to her character and just like you have Cass and Stephanie Brown, you know, kind of seeing their personal lives affect um, how they are as vigilantes and you know, um, and as, as for Bab Senior, you know, I always felt that she was more of an element for Barbara to confront and to, you know, kind of tie in James Jr. and kind of bring in uh, Defla family a little bit. Yes, someone's going to, you know, that's what I feel about Bab Senior. I don't play too much into her character because the thing is, it was so rushed, like you said, Stella. And, you know, um, I want to see more of their relationship because we've seen, we as Batgirl fans, we know about Commissioner Gordon and Barbara. They have a pretty good connection, father-daughter bonding, but it's like, what Barbara really lacks is that mother bond, and it was lost due to James Jr. and his little psychological antic crap <laughs> that he does. Um, so yeah, oh. I guess my my only caveat on that is with Barb with Barbara Senior, it's actually we it, we have the introduction there, and it isn't until multiple issues later that she and Barbara even meet up. So there is gradual introduction of her trying to get back into this world um, while we're finding out that James Jr. is there as well. So this wasn't like something where it was like done in one issue and then she's all of a sudden having major encounters with Barbara. In spite of all this, like Barbara's got this these intense issues, including, you know, her crossover with Court of the Owls going on with mom kind of being this behind the scenes thing that we're being slowly introduced to. I quite like that. I don't know what your lives are. I know we're all, I, I, don't, I don't want to say this in any way because I'm not insulting anybody. We're all, we've all got busy lives. I mean, we've got more than one thing going on in our life. We've got our jobs. We've got, um, you know, if, you, if you're doing school, you've got school. You've got, um, you know, we're all juggling. And um, I could go on trying to come up with what all the juggling could be for all of us. And we're doing blogs and podcasts and yeah. all these other somehow like we're insane enough to try and do these kind of things that we do as well um, <laughs> in life in general. I quite liked that Barbara's life looked like that, you know, that like it felt real to me. And I was watching her try to fit in being a vigilante and all that. And, you know, I struggle to do a weekly podcast. I'm a school teacher during the day. I've got, you know, issues with family, just like everybody else here does. We can all connect on that. And it looks differently for all of us, but we've all got busyness going on in our lives. I got a wife. Um, you know, I try to juggle that, too, and make time for her and all this. <laughs> <laughs> She's very patient. <laughs> I'm very lucky. But, um, you know, I mean, so seeing Barbara go through that, I'm like, that is life. Life doesn't stop because you're doing one other thing. And I loved that kind of anticipation for when is Barbara going to find out about all this stuff and, and how much is she going to find out? Her actual realization with James Jr. doesn't come till much later. So this isn't something I thought was rushed. They've been, they teased, this was teased in the book for quite some time before Barbara even realizes, wait, my brother's here. 
So I don't, I don't actually want to, I don't think we're going to where she reveals, she finds out about the brothers. So I, I shouldn't be saying, I apologize. I shouldn't be saying that, but, um, that actually is an indicator at how long this story was developed. It wasn't a rushed thing. See, see, I felt that the whole inclusion of Barbara senior, and this might be, no one's going to agree with this, but the whole inclusion of Barbara senior to me personally, from a guy who really enjoys the book is a waste of page count. I would rather see James jr. In those stories. I'd rather see almost any other character developed, but Barbara senior. I just, I think that it was, too many strings going on at one time, and I think the overall arc suffered because we were being pulled in, in too many directions. I feel as though that the Barbara Sr. thing was sort of to establish this new 52 Barbara Gordon because I mean, we've not actually said yet, I think, uh, directly, but for anybody who's listening to this who doesn't know, Barbara, at least in post-crisis continuity, you know, she had, she had um, her – Barbara Sr., who was, well, was actually her real mother, but she wasn't around. She was still alive, but she just moved away from Jim Gordon. And then we had um, Sarah Essen, who was killed. It wasn't really a mother figure to Barbara, but she was sort of with James Gordon. I think this was sort of to establish a, a difference between the Gordon family from then and now. Because uh, I know that in the first issue, Babs like, just says almost for no reason, you know, uh, my dad's definitely for sure not, not married since mom left you guys. And I think that like, this was sort of supposed to give her, for lack of a more, for lack of a you know, kinder phrase, mommy issues. I think that like... Barbara, Barbara Senior to kind of leave for this really stupid reason that I think, and kind of come back and say, well, let me make you muffins, Barbara. And Barbara having like you know, kind of like Degrassi-esque kind of you know, not now, Mom. I'm trying to fight crime kind of thing. It sort of to me chases the 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 familiarity of the Stephanie Brown series. It's sort of kind of putting it on back on Barbara in a way that I'm not sure fits for Barbara Gordon's character. Who was even when Barbara Gordon was Batgirl, she was very independent and free of at least in my reading because I'm not read every issue. She was kind of free of that sort of like paternal and maternal, uh, you know, hangups. At, le- at least because, you know, her dad was in danger because he was a cop. But that was sort of it. I don't think that she was really, I don't think that like, she, I'm not sure if her character really welcomes a lot of like maternal longing or whatever. And I know, I know they're trying to put that on her now. I'm not saying like, you know, it should never work. But it feels very alien to me that I'm not sure it can, we can just, at least that I really accept it just because it's there. You know, it's one thing to say Barbara Gordon has issues with her mother. It's another thing to say that she has issues with her mother and it's written well. I didn't take it that she had issues with her mother. In the, I think she took it as mom being back was an inconvenience and she felt guilty saying that. Because if you take a look at it, she really does not want to deal with mom at all. This is not something like she's right. basically mom left her. And I actually agree with everything you're saying. I don't take it as Barbara has this need for mom. Barbara's moved on and established a life being dad's daughter. Um, I think the Batgirl that I always read growing up was always she was trying to hide being Batgirl from her dad, who she respects as a police officer. And a lot of her motivations in becoming Batgirl is the respect um, over her father. So, I mean, I agree with everything you're saying about Barbara's history, not not longing for mom and all that. I thought when but when mom came back, I actually really liked the fact that Barbara's looking at it as a major inconvenience in her life. Like, this is really a problem, and she doesn't want to deal with it. I thought that was the strength of the whole thing. It wasn't like, this is my chance to connect with mom. Um, I like that she feels guilty that she doesn't want to connect with mom, and there's certain points where she makes those, she forces herself to try and connect with mom. And I thought that's very realistic because she, she's everything you're saying that she is. I agree with you. 
um, on on who she is on that, and I don't think she has this longing for it. I think in some ways, if if you could really get her alone in one on one, she would say, "I kind of wish mom didn't come back." <laughs> and she doesn't know um, a lot of what's going on with James, but I, I, you know, obviously she's got a lot of bitterness and like kind of like, "No, my life's established now. You weren't here for all that. Dad was. I want to be here for dad. I don't want this other person." You know, you coming trying to force your way back into my life like you never left. Yeah, and I, th- I think that's that's kind of a legit part of it is that, you know, Barbara Gordon Sr. is a character that isn't easy to like because, you know, we, we use this phrase on, on the last the last one we recorded. She's a deadbeat mom. She had reasons which were questionable at best to not inform the high-ranking police officer that her son has serious mental issues. Mm-hmm. And, I, you know, I, I just don't see her as a, a sympathetic character, which might be my problem with, with not identifying with the character. To me, she's not sympathetic. I agree with Barbara, with Babs. She, her mom ran off, and now she wants to come back, you know, X amount of years later. Not necessary. Doesn't want her part of her life. I, I, I agree with that part of it. Well, yeah. we're going we're, we're gonna to move on from this point, just so we have time for the other two. Um, I do at least hope that um, some questions are answered for Grotesque, since we're going to see him again, whether he's a metahuman, because that wasn't really explained. Uh, he's exhibiting some powers, but we don't really know what his power base are or is. Um, what the whole deal was with the mask uh, when she was sort of breaking it, he was freaking out and saying, no, not my face, you can't see my face. But then in the prison, he's not really freaking out about it and why he wanted to marry Babs so much. Those are some questions that I would love answered. But let's move on, uh, So just so we have enough time here, to Night of the Owls. So that was issue number nine. And then we'll also connect it, I know it came later, but the annual, just because we see that particular talent again. Now, something that I liked about the whole Night of the Owls crossover is that um, if the writers did a good job, they were able to really pair a talent that complemented the particular person in the in the book. Um, and I think that one of them that really worked was this one in Batgirl. And I really saw her as a sympathetic, like uh, a talent that I could sympathize with and actually really liked her. And I even saw a bit of Cass Kane in her just with that little part at the end, you know, wear mask too and everything like that. So what were your thoughts on Mary, the talent? And then we can hop over to <laughs> the annual and did it do a good job to follow up with Mary's story? And was it even a Batgirl centric annual that's my question for you guys just for me first on issue number i, I think of, of all the night of the owl crossovers that that bat girl number nine was the best one in my opinion um i think it was it's my favorite issue in the whole run of bad girl so far and i just i really don't have anything bad to say about the book i, I thought nine was was great i love the mm-hmm. characterization of mary i love the whole backstory i love the whole balloon thing to me this is just as good as it gets this is a great issue that's all i got I don't have much to say about the annual. I didn't. I didn't dislike it. Um, I remember you still liked it a lot. I um, did. Yeah. I kind of took it as you know a sort of a fighting issue. I know there's a connection towards the owl and um, the, uh, the the Japanese girl from Hiroshima, but which was a nice, which was an interesting framing device in terms of the storytelling aspect of it. Uh, I didn't really take too much away from it. Uh, I do have more to say about the annual, but I, I really want to kind of go after what what you have to say about it still because I I enjoy your thoughts on that. You want me to talk? Is well, I mean, like, 
I mean, like, what your thoughts on the Talk annual, which I, I thought were particularly... Oh, on the annual. Well, Sean, yeah. do you have anything to say about number nine? But I guess every, that's really... funny that everyone, when everyone loves an issue, we have nothing to say about it. But when we're all divergent, we, we talk, we take up a lot of time on it. But yeah, I, I thought that this was one of the best issues that came out, the, the Night of the Owl one. But Sean, what did you have to say? Um, I actually the the cast comments. I apologize. I forget who threw that. I, I was really enjoying listening to all of your commentary on it. Either way, but um, the cast comment. I made that connection too, awesome. and I, yeah. I do think that the point of this was to try and um, maybe give us that type of character because we're missing that. And I love. I'm a big Cassandra Kane fan. I loved that character immensely when she was introduced in um, No Man's Land. I thought she was just a terrific character. So I definitely thought that that was, I don't know, it was intention to give us that archetype and to bring that back into the DCU using this, you know, we've got this cool Court of Owls storyline going on. I clearly, I thought she was the most interesting Talon introduced because I loved her backstory. I loved that it made sense that she would be the one that maybe somebody could connect with yes you know and and but that isn't that simple because of the life that she's put through which which is very cassandra kane and and it's and i i actually liked that part of it but i mean you'd have you have to make that connection to a certain extent of that type of character i like those type of characters that kind of uh, i liked asriel for the same reason um i think you can make some asriel connections to her as well um, in the type of character where he was, where, you know, in sort of Azra, if you took a look, he he had the potential to be a Batman villain, did become a Batman villain in Nightfall, and then came back to being somebody that we ended up, I really enjoyed his solo series, and then I enjoyed the revamp of Azrael that happened quite recently as well. So I think that's a character, we talked about Batwing and all these other characters that have been introduced into the Bat family, I think this type of character is somebody that's missing right now, and I'm glad that this is being put back in with Talon. I'm going to start crying in a minute. <laughs> <laughs> you know, he really but, loves Cass, too. That's why he said that. <laughs> you know, with this story, you know, The Night of Owls, I think this was probably one of the one of the few issues that I felt that Simone had a lot of control over because it's like she had her own talent. She could do whatever she wanted with it. You know, and, you know, in all the other Batman books, they could do, they could uh, organize any kind of story behind whatever their talent was going for in the Court of Owls, and, you know, I, I dug, I really dug this issue, and I liked it a lot, and, um, you know, uh, I just felt that they had more control by Simona, and that's about it, yeah. I feel like the annual came at a bad place, and I know that Ed talked about this last time, that the series was sort of interrupted on multiple, <laughs> in multiple occasions, it was interrupted by Night of the Owls, and then the Zero issue, and then we've got this annual, and now we're back on track with everything, but because there was a break, and then we brought Mary back, I, I just feel like it, it wasn't the best spot to put it in, and I'm a firm believer in the fact that uh, an annual should be something really special, a great story that really highlights the character. And it's like, yeah, we're spending this extra money, these extra page counts on this character. And for me, it was a Catwoman and Mary the Talent show. And it wasn't really about, it wasn't really about Batgirl. And that's why I didn't enjoy it as much. And I don't, I think we lost a little bit of the, the Mary character, that um, I feel like we all loved and enjoyed in issue number nine. 
And I also have to say that I lost a little respect for the Bat Batgirl character when she. <laughs> the, yeah, Donovan. You know what, Donovan? He's fine. <laughs> but that kiss in the alleyway Stumpy. really ticked me off. Yeah, I don't like it. I don't like it. I, I'm just like, you know, I feel like it was something that Steph would do because she's like, you know, very of the moment and does these like very random things. But back, I don't know, Barbara Gordon, why would she do that? I feel like maybe a better thing to do would have been to like grab him and threaten him and then go off because that would have, <laughs> that would have seemed more realistic. He didn't, he wanted to have his reputation for his, his brother. So <laughs> do you feel as though her kissing uh, a mook, shall we say, uh, sort of debas- debases Barbara in a sort of, you know, like, uh, you know, trying to, trying to find another word besides sexually. Because I, 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 you, you said this before, and, I, and I, it was her idea to do it, but do you think that, like, the idea that she's putting across that uh, this guy can sort of, you know, hook up with, with a, a female superhero kind of denigrates the idea of Batgirl? Is that kind of why you don't like it, do you think? I don't, I don't think I've ever viewed it as, like, a, a sexual point that, like, this is anti-feminism and you've just brought down the care. I just thought it was really dumb. I just, I just it was really dumb. I just don't see Barbara Gordon kissing a random sort of uh, guy that she's got um, in, in inside knowledge. I don't see her kissing him, and I didn't think that it. You know, he. The whole point was that he didn't want his brother to be suspicious, and it works in the movies that you know, hey, there's somebody coming. We should probably make out right now. But in this particular sequence, I feel like that would not be. I feel like I'd be more suspicious. You're hooking up with a bat girl? That could be bad for our business. I, I, I don't know. So, I mean, those are my thoughts on that. But I don't think I ever saw it as degrading of um, her, her role as a female. Just I just thought it was really dumb. And I didn't see the character as ever wanting or thinking about doing that ever. I'll admit I saw it as a chuckle moment. But I, I, actually, <laughs> I actually agree with you to a certain extent. Because I was thinking to myself, I'm like wouldn't this brother now be using his relationship and maybe that's something that it was intended to be seen down the road because obviously this kid i'm guessing is is meant to be an informant going on in the future like you know there will be a further relationship with him i how i would like to see that followed up myself and i guess this this is me assuming where it's going to go what i would like to see from that because i i'm with you I would like to see some kind of thing where the brother's trying to use this brother's relationship with Batgirl to get something and her seeing that there's ramifications to the kiss. You know what I mean? Like there should be some kind of um, – I think Barbara using her feminine wiles was something that I really enjoyed as Oracle. She would do that every so often, and I really liked that because she was a very pretty girl in a wheelchair. You know what I mean? I, I yeah. liked that that wasn't taken away from her when she was in the wheelchair. So I don't think it's out of character for Barbara to use that side of her. But agreeing, amen, 100% with you, she did this in the Batgirl costume. The brother saw this. There's there, there needs to be ramifications for this. I'm hoping that wasn't a throw. Well, and for reasons that we've discussed already, it could wind up being something that we never see pay off. I'm hoping that Simone had a reason for doing this. I guess I'm having faith that she did, that that wasn't going to just be it. <laughs> yeah. Because um, a lot of times she pays off stuff like that, mm-hmm. you know, where, you know, relationships with characters. I don't take this kid as a – I guess are you guys taking this the last time we'd see this kid? No. Yes. Really? <laughs> Is that what you desire or is that what you really think? Yes, that's a desire. That's not like, like, I don't mind seeing, 
I don't mind seeing him again. I don't mind seeing his brother use him. But it's like, oh, please, let him go. Just, he served his purpose. Go away. <laughs> That's just a desire. That's, I'm not going any further than this. Okay. I guess my fear was that, you know, Gail was going to keep Stumpy around as, a, as an actual love interest. Oh, gosh. More than anything else. Ed, you bite your tongue. You bite your tongue, I, sir. I don't want to go Well, well she, you know, he's got, a, she's got a piece of his hair, and that's yeah, cool. Yeah, that's Roy. You know. <laughs> I mean, okay. what's, the worst, what's the worst Batgirl love scene in the, in the new books? The, the cutting of the hair or the making out with Stumpy in the alley? I mean, I don't the know. The cutting in the hair was ridiculous. <laughs> <laughs> Is it I, more ridiculous than making out with Stumpy? I mean, really. I mean. <laughs> I, I so did not take her having a relationship with him. I do not want that. I didn't take that as being a relationship. I took that as her on the spot trying to cover for this kid because she didn't know what else to do. Um, I, yeah. I'm amen 100% in agreement with Stella that I would. I want to see ramifications from this because mm -hmm. that should, if that's where that ends, I would be unhappy. I guess I'm, I'm convinced that's not where that's going to end. Um, if it if it does, I would be sorely disappointed that that would be all we'd get from that because there should be, unless we never see the kid again. If we see him again, there needs to be some ramifications from that, especially with the brother who saw it. Yeah, it, it, it could be kind of funny too if if he kind of became like a bad girl stalker. Oh god! You know, like <laughs> like great like, ghost. Like, like the the, the oh, one no. the one kiss. Like now he's infatuated with her, and she, oh, no. he thinks that she loves her. I, I don't know. Maybe I'm These went from romantic comedy to like horror. Come on, <laughs> it's a comic book. It's not that it's that far. So I'm, I'm probably wrong. But we all know my my thoughts from the last podcast on the Batman or the Batgirl annual is that it's the best Catwoman story, and that's why I like yes. it. Yes, yeah. That Catwoman sure was awesome in that Batgirl comic. Well, she was oh. the best written. I don't know if you guys are. Well, I, I know Christina and Ed and Donovan. Uh, Sean, are you reading Catwoman? Oh, I am. I love it. Yeah. Oh, you. Oh, you enjoy it. That's a whole oh. other podcast, brother. Yeah. <laughs> we don't enjoy it as much because it's all I, about the sexy and less about Selena, but we felt like this annual was more like, oh, this is really the Selena Kyle that we, we knew and loved. I'm I'm a my favorite Catwoman run was the Brew Baker run. I think he nailed what Catwoman should be. That's I mean, like you said, we could go we could go into a whole different tangent on Catwoman than that would be it is Catwoman is Catwoman where my enjoyment is a Batgirl? No. Um, I shouldn't say love it. I'm enjoying Catwoman. Let's I should backpedal on that a little bit. Um I I love seeing the character in the DCU because I think it's a character who needs to have their own book. I'm enjoying Catwoman. Mm -hmm. Uh it's not I I agree with you, it's not the Selena that I really liked in the Brubaker run. I liked a lot of the stuff they were doing with the character during that. I don't know if that's a run you like. I, we could we could get on a huge tangent with this as far as what our definition of Catwoman is. And yeah. um, I think to even define right now how I feel about the current Catwoman and what I would like to see in it would be we <laughs> we could go on and on because she's a character that's had a lot of different variations over right. her career. Right. So do you oh. see this Talon as, as lasting a while as a character? Now, at the bottom, it says, stay tuned for her in the birds, and she hasn't popped up in the birds yet because I read She's replacing right. Katana. Yeah. Okay. Katana's going to that new Justice League book. Right. Woman's going to that. So I think the point of this annual, I was going to address this earlier, and I didn't want to cut anybody off. And I, and I want to actually apologize openly to the listening audience and anybody else. If I've cut any, I know at different times I've cut people off on there. It was certainly just with the intention of adding to those discussions, but I apologize for that because I'm greatly enjoying everybody's viewpoint. But um, as far as the whole talent thing, mm -hmm. 
what we've got, we're, we're having a shuffling of characters because Catwoman and Katana are both joining that Justice League book that's been introduced, which, and we've seen in Birds, I don't know, are you guys all reading Birds? Yeah, yep. I've read through 14, I guess. Okay. I don't want to say too much in the sense that there's, with Katana leaving now, it opens up, we need somebody in Birds. Right. <laughs> so, um, well, I this- wondered if it was going to be Condor, because we've been setting that up while they were in Tokyo. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, which I I actually would like to see that because <laughs> they did have a male in the in the previous um, volume with Hawk, so it is possible. Yeah, and actually, um, Savant and Creo actually would right, be exactly. You, you yep. consider them a part? I actually always mm-hmm. consider them a part of the team because um, it was to me it was always the people behind the scenes that were working with Barbara were a part of Team Birds as well. Mm-hmm. You know, for this Batgirl annual, and I think this is where I'm not sure if Sean was actually going for this, but I kind of felt that the whole annual was placed wrong, and also that it was just a huge spoiler alert for, like, this talent's going to the Birds of Prey, and it's like, oh, no. For me, it was like, oh, no, they just ruined it for me. And, you know, finding out that the talent's going to the Birds of Prey, I wasn't too thrilled because it's like, well, this character is good, but it's like, how good can this character be? And, you know, for... Um, I always mess up his last name. Uh, Dwayne Strzinski. 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 I'm so sorry, Dwayne oh, Strzinski. Okay. For him, I wouldn't mind him writing, but now that he's gone, I'm kind of like, oh no, could this character still be good? Just like how this character was in uh, Night Night of the Owls, um, in Batgirl, and I'm kind of like shaken and I'm like worried a little bit because you know, um, I, I don't know where all this is going at all with talent and they kind of she kind of for Simone and it might be editorial uh, for Simone that she also laid grounds for Catwoman having a relationship with Green Arrow and it's like why are you mm-hmm. spoiling this for me I like to know that Catwoman is not into Batman as much but is into Green Arrow because he's young and frivolous and she gets the whip in <laughs> into pieces I want to find that out I don't want to be told that's going to happen and I just think that the placement is was just so wrong and I really don't think this annual was, you know, really Simone's brightest <laughs> of all. And it, it's like, it, it really soured my, you know, my my love for annuals, you know, being special mm-hmm. and being like a, you know, page turner. I just actually skipped through this thing, like, let's hurry up. <laughs> you know, it wasn't the best annual ever. And, and there is definitely some scenes in it that are questionable, just <laughs> to say the least. Yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah regrettable. But, it, but but there was some, you know, it, it, it is fun to see. I always like it when when characters are in other characters' books, so I did I did actually enjoy, uh, you know, the back and forth between Catwoman and and Batgirl, and I like the talent mm-hmm. being in it, and I think it's especially whenever you have a book that you like so much, as, as much as I enjoyed issue number nine of Batgirl, that I really wanted to to see that talent back, and although this wasn't the best story to see her back in, I did you know I did like to see her back, so there is some good parts of the book, though. as much as it's got some absolutely drop down silly and i do think it's 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 okay it's readable i actually i want to agree with one comment that uh christina made i i i wish at the end we hadn't seen that little see the talent in the birds of prey because i would have i'm reading birds of prey i would have liked to have had that surprise of that yeah i think i think part of the problem is though we're also dealing with the reality of sales and you've got a book right here in this annual and i a lot of the purposes was to say okay We've got this huge 
Court of Owls crossover going on. Obviously, anybody who bought all the Court of Owls crossovers bought this annual to see more of where this talent's going. You've got an opportunity now at the end to say this talent's going to Birds of Prey. And I think that's one where you've they've got to plug that in for sales purposes. But I kind I am with Christina. I would have liked the surprise because <laughs> I like I'm into that. We're like, wow, this character's appearing there. Um, unfortunately, nowadays, I think we're dealing with, you know, a company saying, hey, we've got to, and I think that's totally what happened there, we've got to establish this character going over into this book, using this crossover to do it, to bring readers to this title, to hopefully boost sales of this title, with these people that would be interested in naturally coming over to that title. And I think that's what was driving that. And a lot of this issue was to establish where, you know, Catwoman's going to go because the relationship with Green Arrow is to do that. Mm-hmm. So I but I feel the same way. I like the surprises more. And I think we're in a in an era right now where we it's harder to have those kind of jaw-dropping surprises anymore because they want the sales numbers. So has that relationship happened Catwoman and Green Arrow cuz that comment was sort of a head scratcher for me cuz I don't read Green Arrow. Yeah, I'm no. totally in the dark. No, that's I think that's more JSA coming up. Oh, you know, okay. that's why I got pissed off. Okay. So it's basically so commenting about something that has yet to happen yet. So we're yeah. teasing a relationship we're teasing a relationship that hasn't happened yet. Okay, or, cool. Or it's happened off camera cuz I am I'm, <laughs> I'm reading I'm reading Green Arrow and that has not happened in the book. Okay. So I either took that as I was baffled. I was like did that happen off camera? And I guess I was taking it it happened off camera to establish when these two are in JLA that they know each other. I do have to say that that's one of my pet peeves is off-panel land, as I like to call it, because if it's important, it should be in the book. So mm-hmm. I, I never like that. Uh, I, don't think, we, I don't think Catwoman can have any more interactions <laughs> with males on camera. After I guess that's true. <laughs> now, now, I, mean, oh, I think they've all got to be off-camera. <laughs> what, what's the odds that her and Green Arrow leave their costumes on, oh, as God. famously oh. done I just, I'm just saying. Hey, you just went there. Oh my god! I'm just, he did. I'm just, I'm just saying. The last time this happened, they left their and coffins brings on. back my disgust. Oh, and then they want to edit. You want to edit back that comment now about uh, <laughs> things happening off. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I 100 percent agree with that. I like things to be happening on panel as well. But yeah. in this case, I'm like, whoa. <laughs> just, just give me the old 50s. Her leg, her leg goes up a little bit. And we're done. So yeah, there yeah. you go. Yeah. It only took one panel for her to have that happen, too. Oh, boy. <laughs> I'm sorry. It, I can't it's... even get away from this idea right now. Oh, no. Oh, God. <laughs> I mean, it, it, it's, it's yeah, just, you know, I'm sorry. I, I, I've brought I've, I brought the whole podcast down with my, my callous remarks. So. I mean, I hope that they now. don't, though, because I feel like the arrows could be a tricky thing. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but there's... It could be dangerous. There's... It could be dangerous, people. <laughs> kill me. <laughs> But uh, let's move on from this topic. <laughs> oh, my God. We'll PG-13. So our last one, which we may spend um, the most time on, will be Nightfall because it's our longest arc. And, and, you know, we've already sort of touched on our three previous villains coming back. So what do you think about Nightfall as a villain? Her thoughts on cleaning up Gotham that she sort of blames the Bat family for bringing it down, her connection to James Jr., all these things. Um, well, I mean, I mean, for me, and this is something we did touch on last time, but I would do want to touch on again that I, I don't think there's any doubt that out of the villains we've seen so far, Nightfall is probably the best in terms of, of backstory, in terms of the way she's wrote, 
in terms of I want to see her again. So I think on a very basic level, I think this is by far the best new villain that we've got. She's actually has a backstory. She has a purpose. And I enjoy the character. That's my basic thoughts. And I'm curious to see what everyone else thinks about her. She's a, the character I would love to see reoccur a lot of many times and to be like an opposing uh, adversary to uh, Batgirl. And, you know, the fact that she is, you know, they're, they're on, basically it's like they're on similar ground. It's kind of like how Cordial's was to Batman. You know, they're on both on similar grounds. They both have the resources. They both have, you know, the, the means to actually be uh, fighting each other forever. And I like that. And it was like, that was a really great character for me to actually see come out the woodworks and be a force in uh, Batgirl's universe. I wish that there was probably a little bit more interaction between the two of them, but that's like further down the line. I wish that it wasn't just like, you know, a knife in your stomach and that's it. She's down for the count. They did have fights uh, in this issue, but I just wish there was just, you know, she had about, I think, four, four issues with her, a few issues with her. And I just feel like there should have been more. It should have been just her goons going after. There should have been a little bit more interaction instead of just monologuing on the side. But that's just a preference of mine. You know, it, it still, it's it still maybe wants to see her and read her and just still be more into her character. And I love the fact that you know the way she appears is like she's, a, you know, she's a, a cool looking vigilante, but with like a dark side to her. You know, where she's cutting off people's legs. <laughs> I think that she's the best villain Barbara's gone up against so far in her title. But again, I have a problem with the character's uh, backstory in that she had a father who she loved, and she had a boyfriend who she loved. Boyfriend kills the father, and she just goes along with him. And, like, that's really – I mean, that's all we've been explained. She she voluntarily goes to uh, Arkham Asylum to study the madness, as she likes to say. And – Again, I think, it's, I think it goes back to Gail Simone's tendency to have these, these villains be really insane for really uh, questionable reasons. That, I mean, I, I, I like her by the, at the end of the day. I think she's an interesting character, but her origins, I, th- I think, still kind of leave a, a lot to be desired. I like that she came from privilege and that, you know, it was like this sense of, like, this girl really had no reason to be the way that she was, you know what I mean? Um, and just to show that she was, like, this spoiled brat who kind of wanted everything. Um, there was there was some part of that that I, I really quite enjoyed. Uh, the one thing we, we you were mentioning earlier about the focus on her rogues gallery, and, I mean, not her rogues gallery, I'm sorry, her gang, her little gang that was traveling with her. Um, I thought that was really important because though they showed why... Batgirl would need help because Nightfall had this gang of characters that we needed to get introduced to kind of like what Bane had um, back in Nightfall. I don't, th- I mean, I don't think the name's accidental. I don't think the, this, this Nightfall having a gang is accidental. It's trying to establish somebody who has this gang of people that test Batgirl and then Batgirl's team comes in and helps to take down these characters, which ultimately gives Batgirl the upper hand and puts Nightfall in a position where, okay, I need a better gang, <laughs> and I, I need to take a look at who can I get that would actually follow me, so they're going to stay in line with me like these other ones did, but yet might be able to, in their own way, take down Batgirl. It, it, so it kind of, I think it offers an establishment there, which then, when, when that reveal happened, that's why I liked it. And I know we're in different places with that. I don't want to rehash that because I think we've I've I've already gone there. So that's I'm just going to do that quickly and 
kind of move on um, on my end and let you guys, you know, have, because I know you've got different viewpoints on that. And this would be a good time, I think, to address those. And you're correct in saying that she needed help because McKenna and Batwoman were basically there to aid her. And while Batgirl was taking on Nightfall, um, they were up on the roof taking on the disgrace. So what is going to happen then, do you think? When now we've got potential, well, if Nightfall is in, in jail, we've got the disgrace, so there's three, and then we've got Grotesque, Gretel, and Mirror all coming back. Is there going to be a huge team up? Is Batgirl going to ask, have to ask for help? Which is, she basically told Nightwing that she wasn't going to ask for help anymore, so is she going to have to? Is that another sort of character uh, flaw that she's going to have to overcome? Yeah, that's something she's really going to have to overcome. She's going to have to, you know, dig deep down inside you know, and really ask for help from Nightwing, whoever is willing to help her and come to her aid. Um, also that she's going to have to start getting a little bit uh, smarter about uh, fighting, you know, not fighting with so much, you know, these raw emotions that she has. And, you know, the thing that probably will bring out, bring out her emotions is James Jr.'s there. And, you know, as we've seen from Death of Family, you know, he's around and she now sees that he's involved and, you know, that even harbors some, you know, mixed emotions towards her brother, too. So I think for Barbara, you know, when she does start fighting, she's going to have to try to be like Batman and put the feelings aside and try to focus on the main goal, which is to take down these uh, these villains. I like James Shooter's involvement with Nightfall. I like the way that was handled. You know, like his kind of behind-the-scenes kind of stuff that he was doing. I thought that was interesting. Yeah. Well, I think it speaks to something we talked about earlier, which is, is there a possibility that James Jr. really is the the A villain here? You know, is, is he the guy pulling all the strings? And if I think that may or may not come to fruition due to some creative changes, but, you know, I, I think that, that that is kind of the interesting part is that you have this, you know, is James Jr. the bad guy? Is he the one with, with the plan here? Because Nightfall apparently learned a lot of what she, she learned from James Jr. He quote-unquote protector in Arkham Asylum, which – doesn't sound like a typical role for him as the protector. So yeah, yeah. I, I just I, I really liked this part of it and I really liked Batwoman's inclusion in it. And especially I did like the first fight scene between Batgirl and Batwoman. I know some people didn't didn't like it, but I liked it and it's my thoughts. Yeah. He is Geppetto. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That'd be it's kinda clear. fun though. That's how I see him. Actually, I love that. That was perfect. I mean, the way, I mean, I've never put the term Geppetto for it, but I—that's really like that's the aim. That's like exact yeah. how to sum him up. He's a very evil Geppetto. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I mean, if you think about it, what's a better big villain for Babs than her brother? Right. Someone who knows her. Someone who you know, and has the same relationship with with Jim. I I, I just think that there's a lot of there's a lot of synergy there. Someone who stabbed her in the legs when she was in a wheelchair. Yeah. yeah. Uh, we, <laughs> we know he's not a very nice guy. <laughs> no, no. Still gives me nightmares, I have to say. Now, what did anyone else, I'm curious, just, I'm really curious to hear what, what Donovan and, and Sean and Christina, everyone have to say about this. What did you guys think of the inclusion of Batwoman here? Do you think it was just a token, we need to include another character? Or do you think that it had it had legs, that it was, it was, a, was a good quote-unquote crossover? Uh, I think it probably had legs, you know, because the thing is, Batwoman is like the black sheep, and I kind of felt that it was a it was a great way to actually include her with another uh, female Batman character who, you know, who is also pulling away from the family. And it's like it's not like oh us girls got to sit together. No, it's like you know let's learn from each other, let's respect one another, 
I can show you something, you can show me something, you know, because there are parts of Batwoman where she does lack, and there are parts of Batgirl where she does evidently lack too. And they could, I think they could probably feed off each other and not be bosom buddies, not like how Huntress and Power Girl is at this point, that craptastic book is. <laughs> Seriously, it's crap. <laughs> you know, not like that, but actually have, you know, actual respect for each other. Because mm-hmm. when she really does meet Batwoman, it's like she's really super against her until she finds out, holy crap, this chick just beat the crap out of me. What the hell am I going to do? I'm going to take a knife out, see what happens. You know, they can have respect for each other. I think that's, you know, that's actually, um, you know, realistic you know, for the two characters. I think it has some legs. It just, you know, it has to be developed nicely. That's all. I think it also brought um, in the more possibility of learning more about McKenna's past uh, because somehow McKenna is obviously affiliated in the past with Nightfall, which we still don't really know the whole story. And then she was sort of flagged by the DEO as well. So those are questions I think um, that need to be answered. And I think that perhaps this was an attempt by Simone to start to open up the character and hopefully get us caring about her. But I guess we'll see where that leads. Did you guys like that Batwoman? I, I, I liked that it waited. I'm glad that it was something like we didn't see Batwoman until the end of issue 11. The real meat and potatoes started in 12 and 13. I was glad they didn't do that like in the first or second arc because I, I really would have felt like that would have been, I don't know that it would have had as much legs so early on to throw in Batwoman because I think you needed like people that she knew already like Dick Grayson in, in like a one issue and a, a Bruce Wayne in a one issue early on. Um, now that we're more, you know, more establishing of the book, that's when you do a Batwoman. I thought the placement was very good with this. I don't know if you agree. That's just no. kind of take timing wise. I think that Batwoman has yeah. very, I think that Batwoman has very tenuous ties to the Bat family because she's not, the only connection she really has is the Bat motif and the Bat name. She's not really a part of the Bat family for being completely honest about it. I think that, like, uh, she, she just by technicality, she her title is a bat book, and I have no problem with her being background. I like the idea that she's actually interacting with a member of the bat family because she doesn't. I think that uh, it was an interesting way to, to sort of like have the two characters uh, interact. I feel as though that um, Batwoman was serviced well, and that she can at least take out Batgirl in a fight. <laughs> but I'm not sure if I got a lot out of their quote unquote and I mean I wasn't I don't think they really have a relationship. I don't think she has a relationship with anybody, which isn't necessarily a bad thing, but I feel as though that Batwoman and Batgirl it was just sort of, you know, they were involved in the case. I don't think they were, I didn't really see much more beyond that besides Barbara saying, Oh my gosh, she can, you know, kick my butt in like, you know, thirty seconds which we get a get a heaping help of in every other issue. I feel as though Kate Kane her title really doesn't feel connected in any stretch of the imagination as a bat title and that's and again i'm not saying it's a bad thing but her interaction with batgirl to me felt like it could have been any other dc hero that wasn't connected to batman but i think we at this point i wanted to see the two of them together and see the differences between the two of them i actually agree with yes. everything you're saying i don't think she is part of the bat family i and i that's why i said i liked the placement of this uh, i think to throw her early on with everything you're saying amen totally agree would have been like, why are you putting in this character that she doesn't have this connection with this early on? But at this point, it's like, okay, we've got a Batwoman and Batgirl title. What would it be like if these two meet? And mm-hmm. and how are they alike and how are they different? That's yeah. what I liked about the crossover at this point. Yeah. You know, for new readers, that's something that comes to question. It's like, holy crap, they're both redheads. And it's like, I kind of felt like it's the big red 
big redhead fight. Let's go. Um, <laughs> I kind of felt that, you know, seeing the two of them come at each other, it's like, okay, who can win, who can't? And also, you know, how, like Sean said, how can they relate to each other? How are they different from one another? You know, you got to really establish that between the two characters because, you know, for the longest time, and I do like Batwoman, I always felt that Batwoman was just Barbara Gordon, just gay and older, and that was it. And to see that the two of them are so completely different from one another, it just solidified, like, yes, they are different, yes. They are complete, completely different, not just by history, not just by background, but also when they interact with each other, they come from two different mindsets. And it really helped me really see that the two of them are, can, can somehow be united, you know, with a respect for one another, but also be divided based on certain situations. And it was really cool for me to see that happen in this issue. I think that, um, I think one thing that the, that the uh, interaction kind of needed was for Batgirl to sort of impact Batwoman in a way. Because from what I got from the, that storyline was basically Bat, Batwoman arrives and beats up Barbara Gordon. Uh, Barbara says uncle, and like that kind of moves on. And I don't feel that there was any sort of... I think with the, when characters interact that are from different comic books, they just sort of leave an impression on one another. Sort of like how Wonder Woman and mm-hmm. Batwoman are doing in Batwoman's title. I'm going to play continuity cop, as I always feel like doing. Like, for instance, uh, in Tim Drake's title, there was an issue where uh, during Zero Hour where he ran into the Dick Grayson Robin, and there were, th- that was a showcase to see how Dick Grayson was better in some instances than Tim as Robin, and Tim was better in some instances as than Dick. I think as though, since Batwoman and Batgirl are comparable due to their gender you know, like, and their motifs, I think that was a chance to sort of compare and contrast, and I don't think that the, the uh, interaction did it at all. I think it sort of showed that Batman has a physical edge, and then it kind of stopped there. I, I See, I'm going to disagree, and, and let me tell you why. I think what I loved about this is it was refreshing. I think every time you do these superhero team-ups, it's the same thing. You get one hero coming in the other hero's book, and because it's that hero's book, they've got to somehow one-up the other hero and earn their respect. I thought Batwoman left this book the same way that she came in and the same way that she is in her own book. She's a loner. Mm-hmm. I don't think she's looking to be a part of the Bat family. She's not looking to be validated by Batgirl. I think what we saw is Batgirl's reaction to her, which I thought was very well exactly. done. That Batgirl didn't just tactfully win this thing. Because considering the military background of Kate Kane, she shouldn't win it. And I like that that was something Batgirl had to realize. I thought that was refreshing because it seems like every time there's a team-up, like, I mean, uh, I'm a Batman junkie, but should Batman be able to beat Superman? No. Um, but yet when it's a Batman title, for some reason, we've got to have Batman somehow overcome Superman. And I'm not, don't get me wrong, I love those classic moments. I get <laughs> geeky about it, so I, anybody listening to this, I, I'm not like that. I thought this <laughs> was refreshing that we have this guest in here that, like, so totally didn't get um, beaten by Batgirl. Didn't particularly, I agree, she didn't get won over by her. And I thought, I'm like, that's different and neat. Batgirl was affected by her. That clearly did something with her. But I didn't think in this case it, it, it didn't affect, I agree, it didn't affect Batwoman. She's going back to her own little thing. And uh, I think if they met again, she might know that Batgirl's a good guy because of what they connected with. And, and maybe it would go a little differently. But I don't feel like they're going to be fast friends from this. And I kind of like that. <laughs> you know, it's, it's like I said, it's a respect. And, I, you know, I've, I've seen this in the issue where she says, I've seen the face of a hero in the guy she the the guy who lost his leg in McKenna as well as in Batwoman. She's like, I've seen the face of a hero because she was standoffish to everyone and then she just got turned around on her butt. I like to say ass, but it got turned around 
and it's like she now has a new perspective and all throughout this comic book title she's been uncertain of everything around her and it's like you have to you know you got to make quick judgments you can't just be all about you know what's really good in front of you there are grays and you got to see that and when she, once you see those grays you're able to make good judgment calls and i think for barbara she's always been you know always into her head and never always about her you know her instincts her gut instincts about people and you know i just love that this issue just totally made her just change everything around her and it, it shows that she's learning and it shows that she's progressing as a character and and yeah <laughs> see that to me though I, I i come down on the opposite to that that to me is sort of going back towards the uh uh, some something else I have on other comics where we compare and contrast that way. I understand kind of sh- shaking up the the uh, conceit of having characters meet and you know leave with a certain amount of respect. I understand. I like the idea. Uh, Sean said to kind of you know turn that on his head, but to me to sort of ha- have it as a lesson towards Batgirl, to me it just illustrates more of the regression I feel with the character. You know, you it's one thing. Was not a character though. I'm sorry. Did you feel Batwoman was out of character though? I guess that's the point. And I'm sorry, you know, no, I'm not saying that I, I, I'm, I'm sorry, you know, I should apologize first. I cut you off. Go ahead. Please finish your thought. And then what uh, that's I want to say is that I'm not so much saying back. I'm not, I don't, it's so much, not so much, uh, how Batwoman comes off looking, but how Batgirl comes off looking. I don't think that Batgirl, I don't think Barbara Gordon needs to come off learning something from Batwoman in, in terms of, in terms of crime fighting, which I know is not directly what it's supposed to be, but I feel as though it's another instance of Gail Simone trying to show this sort of like, the idea of this sort of almost green superhero, and Barbara Gordon shouldn't be. I know she was paralyzed for several years. I know she wasn't even back all that long, comparatively towards you know before the poor Flashpoint. But ideally, we're supposed to go off the idea of, since we've established from issue one, we're not knowing much about Barbara Gordon. A lot of this does sort of like rely on knowledge of Barbara Gordon as you know this, this smart character. I feel as though this particular instance was a it's sort of a reiteration of a theme where Barbara Gordon is not as effective as a crime fighter. And Batwoman came in basically showing her up, I think. I don't think that's a problem with Batwoman doing that, but I think that for a character like Barbara Gordon, who's been around for about 50 years now, I don't think that's doing the character a, a decent service. I mean, you can, you can see it as developing her to be better. I don't think she needs to be taken down to be made better, though. I don't see, think I just, what happened. No. Just, there's dialogue here where it totally, says, yeah. she's doing what I do. She's calculating. She's learning how to beat me. She oh. already knows about the shock plates in my suit. She's gauging her reach against mine. I mean, Batgirl's analyzing her there. I thought yeah. in that sequence, it, it taught us volumes about how much of a seasoned veteran Batgirl is because this wasn't some girl going, I've never seen anything like this. I'm overwhelmed. She she was admittedly admiring the fighting skills of Batwoman, which I think are totally in tune with everything that's been established with the character. Batgirl's Batwoman's a cold fish. We see that in her own book. She's got when she's got that mask on, her demeanor when she's interacting with people is this character that we saw here. That's what I loved about it. But this dialogue with Batgirl in that sequence, if that fight sequence, you take out all the dialogue and you have that fight sequence, I'm with you 110%. It's the internal monologue from Batgirl where she's analyzing what Batwoman's doing that won me over to that sequence to say, whoa, Batgirl really knows a lot about combat, even though she's not trained to the level that Batwoman was. That's where it won me over. And I mean, we can, dis- we can agree to disagree on that, but that's, I just want to say that's why I liked it so much, the dialogue there more than just the physical action. Separate big problem. Together, it worked. 
See, I think that this is the top of the hill, and now that we know that Simone's left the book, this is kind of her closing chapter to her Batgirl run because mm-hmm. the death of the family stuff's not going to really be – I mean Simone's writing it, but it's not really Simone's work. I think this is the end of chapter one of the new Batgirl story, which in, in, in these issues, we see Babs back as full-on Batgirl. She's mm-hmm. been hurt. She's been injured. She's come back down the road. She's retrained herself. She's and, – and I think in these issues, we see the realization of Barbara Gordon at full strength as Batgirl again. So I think this is the – I don't look at this as a low point. I look at this as the top of the hill for Batgirl. She's back on point. She's back in control. She's back being the hero that, that we've all grown to love. So I think it's almost a fitting end, unfortunately, for Simone's run of the book. I absolutely add. Well, that seems like a, a fitting end for our – discussion are there any lingering points that you wanted to make mm, that was a good discussion all around yeah. it was thank you so much for taking the time out of your busy schedules i know it, yeah we all have sites and things to do and wives to make happy and well i don't there have a life but uh <laughs> and, you know family and jobs and things like that so i very much appreciate it and you all brought different perspectives than, um, you know, I, I've just been used to sort of the, the negative ones. And that's really why I want to have this discussion was to hear why you guys like it. And I'm very pleased with, with what I heard. So thank you very much. So until next time. Fly. On. Babs. Lovers. Just plain Barbara Gordon masquerading for a lark as she rides into the night on her special Batgirl cycle. Who knows? Is the dynamic duo destined to become the triumphant trio? Only time will tell us more about this dazzling dare doll. Ah, I love a happy ending, don't you?